Well, it looks like it, we've got a total of 51 watching. The rest of you guys are hungover. So that's why they didn't show up. Welcome, everybody. Yes, uh, it is not actually New Year, but we'll say Happy New Year just because why not? As you guys know, I won't go into that today, but um, yes, yeah, September means seven, and October means eight, and November means nine, and DECA means ten, and yet those are the what, nine, tenth, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth months. None of that makes any sense. So, yes, we should be celebrating the new year in spring, really, but you know what? When in Rome. So, we'll just say Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, you are listening to the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ. We are coming live from Beach, Wisconsin. I'm your Beach Preacher. This is Marty Leeds, teacher of the mysteries and preacher of the heart. Thank you all for joining me this morning. Hungover and still made it. Nice, Truth Seeker. Nice. Hey, at least you're still here, you know. Uh, as I said, uh, 10 lashings with the wet noodle and 12 Hail Marys and you'll be fine. Okay. As you know, we do service every Sunday. Uh, thank you, Daniel Stearns. Perspective 96. Broken Bear. Chris Petrevsky, what's up? Dave Messenger, nice to see you. Mr. Gensky, Miss McNally's, Mark Brotherson. Thank you all for being here. We do service every Sunday, 9 a.m. Central Standard Time, as you guys know. And if you are watching this on BitChute Rumble, uh, we'll be getting Odyssey up this next week or two. Uh, you can thank ContentSafe. Thank you, ContentSafe, for getting us on the interwebs. We appreciate that. We're streaming to YouTube and Rockfin right now. And you can get this podcast all over um, Apple Music and Podbean and all of those places. You can also get this podcast, this service at the Flat Earth, Sun, Moon, and Zodiac app. The Flat Earth, Sun, Moon, and Zodiac app. And you can get that on my website, my webbies, uh, GnosticAcademy.org. You can go. There's a tab right there. Click on that. There's an information tab. There's a little guy. I think it's reading a book or something like that. You can click on that and boom, you can get all the Sunday sermons there. So if you want to watch them all from uh, start to uh, finish, in fact, I just had a few people message me saying they just caught this, you know, they just found the church and they started watching from the beginning. So you can do it there for free. So the app's great. Yep. So check it out. So thank you all for being here this morning. I appreciate it. Let's get some thank yous uh, going here. As we do, I want to say thank you to Jackie Traverson. Uh, first and foremost, just received a donation this morning and uh, everything. So appreciate that very much. Um, I just got to say, it wasn't maybe two and a half months ago, we were really looking at having to possibly even shut the website down and things like that, just because the, the support really wasn't coming in and things like that. Um, so it's really turned around in the last month and a half, and I really I just want to appreciate everybody that does support and keeps this thing alive. Um, I think it's worth it. It's a very valuable service that we provide, and I really appreciate the people that value it and see the see, you know support it. So thank you very much. Uh, not just monetarily, um, you know, just in every way you can support it. <clears throat> you know, sharing it, whatever you know. So, thank you, Jackie Traverson, received your donation this morning. God bless you. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Robert Bruce, Cameron Keene, Austin Thompson, and Paige, love you guys. Gareth Turner, thank you very much. Uh, received a couple of $5 donations. Notice you've been watching on Rockfin. Thank you so much. Yes, we are on Rockfin. If anybody wants to go over there and dust off. Actually, we got about 1,000 subscribers on Rockfin, so not so bad. So, Gareth Turner, thank you very much. Daniel Hager, James Smith, Mellow Dome. Uh, Crystal Rose, Alan Woodward, Melodome, by the way, has a podcast if you guys want to check that out. They're flat earthers, those freaking, you know, science deniers. Crystal Rose, Alan Woodward, Lucy Short, Ruth Scott, uh, Michael S., thank you so much, Carrie Musgrave, Pers Perspective 96, Canabare, Rox G, Stella, and Krupa. Stella and Krupa are not here. Ben's probably somewhere hugging his bong. That's what he's doing right now. Let's just be honest. So, 
<laughs> T. Rufsika's here, though. So is Liz the Iron Maiden. It's already true, Mary. Eric Colvin. Oh, yeah, well, we got this guy here. That's right, Mr. Small Axe is here. Thank you. Appreciate that. Everybody that's always here supporting. And uh, Interverse Podcast, thank you for the t-shirt, by the way, Mr. Chance. Really appreciate that. You guys can go check out Chance. His name is Actual Chance, and his podcast is called Interverse Podcast, if you'd like to check him out. So I appreciate that. And then that's the last person I want to thank. Oh, there's one more. If you can't cut down the big tree with the small X, you can cut it down with the Deborah Stilly chainsaw. I have two 16-inch Deborah Stilly chainsaws, so in case you can't cut down the big tree... It's a terrible joke, by the way. Terrible joke. I tried to be funny, but, you know. I was actually going to get into heaven. I was going. It was going pretty well there for a while. Then I, then I <clears throat> cut that joke. And then God's like, oh, Jesus. This thing. Anyway. So, thank you, Deborah Stilly. Received your card. Thank you for everybody that did send cards and that is here every week and, you know, just supports. It means the world to us. So, uh, today, we are going to do... A little uh, retrospective, look at the last year, sort of look at what we're uh, going to do, you know, looking forward to this year. And we're also going to do basically a overview of what it means to be a Gnostic, what, it, what we teach here, what I preach, what, you know, my perspective, the perspective that we bring to the table, the tradition that we are adhering to and pr- promoting. Um, we're going to talk about all the, the, just cover like up, down, left and right, center. So basically every question, as many as I could as many as I could gather, every question that um, people had asked about the church, like, what do you guys believe? What do you guys, you know, what do you teach? What do you preach? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we're going to try to cover as many of those things today as possible. So this is Sunday service, number 48. What does it mean to be a Gnostic? This is a question that a lot of people have. Like, oh, I'm considering doing this thing, but what does that mean? Well, we're going to cover that today. Exactly what I teach, exactly what I preach. And um, so, yeah, so this is an introduction to our little church. It's a tiny church. It's a small church. There's how many people are here this morning? 60. Half of them are hungover. It is what it is, you know. So before we do that, let's do a prayer. Dear Father, I know that you supply all my needs according to your riches in glory. Help me to remember that when I put others ahead of you, remind me that I'm not to put my trust on man, But in you, man cannot love me like you do. Man cannot understand me the way that you do. Only you know my heart. Only you know what I need. I thank you for your abiding love for me. Amen. So, all right. So, um, all right. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to do an overview of what it means to be a Gnostic. A lot of people have a lot of questions. And after this, if you guys do think of any questions like, oh, you didn't cover this, that sort of thing, shoot it over to me and um, I'll try to keep a list and then try to cover that in the future. So, okay. So just so you guys know, we just started this church uh, last year, basically about Christmas time last year, I think, is when we started this church. And it's just an online church thus far. But as you guys know, my channel before that was Marty Leeds 33 and I've been covering... Spiritual topics since I started, literally, that's all I ever really discussed. Of course, I would go into conspiracy and that sort of thing. Mainly, my entire trajectory, my entire goal, my entire life's work has been to help people understand spiritual subjects, uh, topics and uh, philosophies and symbolism and all that sort of stuff. And so that's what we do here. So we've only started this church last year and we've got a lot accomplished. And I'd like to share with you just what we've accomplished in this last year. 
Um, so congratulations to us. But first off, we did, um, upon opening the church, I released this bad boy right here, and that's called Lord Jesus Christ. And it is a big old fat book, about 550 pages, on, on basically the mysteries, understanding the mysteries, which we'll talk about today. Understand the mysteries through Christ. Um, the Kabbalah, the the you know the the Zodiac Man. We cover squaring the circle and you know all these other things in this book. So that was the first thing that we did. So um, we started the church, started doing the Sunday sermons. I think I've only missed one or two this whole last year. And so the first thing we did was that we're going to do sermons, and then we launched the book. So that was the first thing we did. The, um, throughout this last year, we also updated. I did three volumes of the Pie in the English Alphabets, volumes one through three. And I went through and I edited all those down and put it into one easy-to-read kind of book. So distilled all of those books down into one, and so we've uh, edited that. So that was an updated version of that. So we did those two books this year. We also updated The Peacock's Tales, The Alchemical Writings of Claudia Pavonis. This was this is mainly the same as it always was. It made some changes in there just to update because that's what scientists do. You know, they look at their old work, figure out what they got wrong, and then update it. So we did that with these two books there, and we released uh, Lord Jesus Christ. We also uh, did the Bible packages. So we did rosaries. Now Jennifer's making the rosaries. And Kelly Wegeshide, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're moderated. Boom! Just like that. Um, so, so Jennifer figured out how to make the rosaries, so she got all that, and we got the Bibles, we sourced out the Bibles, everything like that, got them printed, so we've got that whole package together. People are really loving that. Um, got really great responses on pretty much everything that we've produced for the church. Uh, so like I said, Lord Jesus Christ, Pie and Tea, uh, Volumes 1 through 3, Peacock's Tales, Rosary and Bibles. We did the entire, uh, as far as the sermons, uh, just to look back at what we did this last year, the last the sermons, we did the entire book of Mark. We did literally line by line, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, we did the entire book of Mark. We also did like Cain and Abel. We did, um, you know, what is Gnosticism, which we're going to review today, of course. There were just a whole bunch of topics that we did in the last year. And I'll just say this, um, there's really, as far as I know, there's really no other church out there as far as, uh, that's specifically Gnostic that covers these things in detail. I don't know of any other church that does. Hence, one of the reasons why I started the church. This is not just in a church, and it's an academy as well. Um, we're dedicated to education. So it's one thing. Um, yeah, I was just joking, Kelly. That I just I just moderated you. You just got a wrench. We'll talk about that in just a second. <laughs> I know I gotta watch it. I make these jokes and people are like, was he serious? No, we love you. These are just <laughs> so. Anyway, um, it's the Irish humor. You just gotta, you know, give me give me a little leeway. So anyway, so we did. Uh, yeah, all the sermons. We also did the astrology of the Book of Mark documentary. So I took all of those sermons. Love you, love you, girl. So he took all those sermons and edited it down into a documentary. So it was about an hour and 10 minutes or something like that. So you could see all of the astrological correlations in the book of Mark. Like I said, we in that thing, we went line by line. And so we did that. So um, we also did the European cathedral trip where we visited about a dozen cathedrals in what is it, the Czech Republic and France and Germany and that sort of stuff. Small churches save souls when megachurches waste souls away. Yeah, amen, Robert Smith, man. Um, hey, uh, the books are awesome. Looking forward to getting scripture and stars. Thank you, Deborah Stilly. I got two 16-inch Deborah Stilly chainsaws that cut down the big tree. 
Okay, I'll let that joke go. Uh, we also did Flattoberfest, which was great. We got to see all the people over at Flattoberfest. And um, besides doing all the work on a property and stuff like that, and then also I wrote Scripture in the Stars. Uh, my wife helped me with this bad boy. She helps me with everything, of course. She's, you know, she's really the brains behind this operation. So um, definitely the beauty. So, uh, Scripture in the Stars. So this will be out, I'm hoping, in the next week or two. We just got to edit it and put the index in, and we're looking at getting the last copy back. So, just so you know, we've only opened this church a year, and we've done a lot. We've done a lot. I would like to, you know, I don't want to pat myself on the back or anything like that, but we've, you know, we've really dedicated ourselves to doing as much to educate people as we can, be consistent with the live streams as far as every Sunday we want to be here. We want it to be, you know, an event. And we are also doing our best to build a good community. I don't care how many people actually show up here. I really don't. I just want everybody that's here to pay attention, to be upstanding, to be upright, to want to learn, to be adults, you know, to have some common sense and some reason, to have love in their heart, and that's it. And that's the people that we're going to get into this church, and anybody that doesn't fit that mold is out. And so we've done, I think we've done a really good job with that. As I said, we're, we, um, you know, we're, an, we're a church and, a, and an academy. You know, I'm here to teach. So this is not just me getting up here and doing my little sermons and trying to make you feel better. That's not, a lot of times I don't make you feel better, or sometimes, just because I get the harsh truth in there. But, but we're, you know, honesty, integrity, dignity, education, this is what we're all about here. Quality over quantity. Thank you, Mr. Lieutenant Dan. Thank you. Um, tell your friend I love his shrimp. So that's what we do. So that's what all the books are for. This next year, we're also looking at, uh, well, we'll talk about this. So uh, what we look for in the future, this at least this next year, um, Jennifer and I are trying to possibly get a, a piece of land. Um, we have land now, but it's just not big enough to do any sort of retreats or anything like that. But we would like to um, really get a piece of property, get ourselves a yurt, and possibly a couple more and do a physical church as well as to have some sort of gathering, uh, at least maybe once or twice a year, something like that, where we go out, we go out at night and we do some star studying. We do, you know, meditation in the morning. You know, we get Amor down here to do some cheat teaching. You know, whatever it is, we would like to have a physical uh, church at some point because um, it's not just good enough to do this online. We'll continue to do it online. But so uh, we are going down to Missouri this next month or two to go check out some land down there to see if it's something we're even interested in. But it's sort of up in the air. But I just want you to know that we do have, um, you know, we don't want to just be online here. You know, we would like to do uh, gatherings. We would like to do uh, meetups, that sort of thing. And uh, really, you know, when Jennifer and I are dead and gone, pass on this church and academy to the next generation. That's what really what this is all about. That's why the books, this is, I didn't write this book for me. I didn't even write it for you guys. I wrote it for the next generation. That's going to need this shit. You know what I mean? So that's what this is, this is all about. So, um, so yeah, that's what we're, you know, that's what's happened in the, um, yeah, Missouri is where you want to set up a physical church. There's a lot of good people down there. I know that. And I think there's a lot of people that, let's just face it. Uh, well, we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, but the, the modern churches are dying. And um, how can I join your cult? Is that a joke? You get you get two seconds to. <laughs> so we'll talk about the cult thing here in a second too. Um, I am one of the most iconic. Ask ask chance. <laughs> ask chance. I'm literally one of the most iconoclastic people I know. I can't stand like uh, 
gurus and sages and people that I've hated that in my entire life and have been extremely against it my entire life. So you're certainly not going to get any cult status from me. I'll be the I'll be the first person to kick that shit out the door because I can't stand it. But we'll talk about that. So before we get into that, um, thank you, Cameron Keen. <clears throat> Let's talk about Gnosis, because since, since, uh, since, well, let me go back here, since this live stream has said, yeah, what does it mean to be a Gnostic? What are you guys all about? What do Gnostics believe? And so we're going to do an introduction into this church. So the first thing people ask is, uh, what is Gnosticism? Okay, what does it mean to be a Gnostic? There's lots of people that have different interpretations of Gnosticism, just like you have loads of people that are astrologers that are full of shit, right? Lots and lots of people that do gematria, astrology, lots of people that are Christians that have no idea what they're talking about. So Gnosis is really an umbrella term to really speak about, as far as I understand and how I teach it, the mysteries, the mystery school tradition. That's really what it's all about, and we'll cover that today. Um, Robert Turdo. Robert Turdo, are you joking or not? If it's a joke, you can stay. If not, get out. Gnosis. Uh, Gnosis is this, specifically. Knowledge of spiritual mysteries. That's what it is. That's it. It's, it has nothing to do with following any dogma or doctrine or believing anything that has nothing to do with demiurge or eat matters, eat, anything like that. It's basically just saying, knowledge of spiritual mysteries. This world is full of mysteries that has a spiritual component to it, and we want knowledge of that. And as we're going to see, ultimately, this knowledge is, has nothing to do with knowledge up here. It has nothing to do with books full of information. That's not the knowledge that Gnostics seek. That knowledge is actually of the heart. And I've said that time and time again. If you don't have the, if you don't have the heart, nothing, not, this, none of this matters. You can have your head full of knowledge, endless books of information, but if you don't have it centered in the heart, it means nothing. This is what... Knowledge, this is what Gnosticism is really all about, knowledge of your heart. That's where your, you know, your spirit comes from, um, the spiritual nature of your heart. Uh, it says in Proverbs 2.6, the Lord gives wisdom, gives wisdom. From his face comes knowledge, gnosis, and understanding, synthesis. So that's it. That's really, when you say gnosis, it's just saying, hey, I'm pursuing knowledge of the spiritual mysteries. Life is a mystery. I want to understand the spiritual component of it. And that's what, that's what Gnosis is, plain and simple. That's it. Gnosticism is also the belief that human beings contain a piece of God, the highest good or divine spark within themselves, which has fallen from the immaterial world into the bodies of humans in the material world. And all physical matter is subject to decay, rotting, death, temporary. Um, it's a, there's a, the temporary nature down here, right? It's the corruptible temporary nature down here. So this is the predicament that we're all in. And this is what Gnostics believe. And it's very easy to see that this is what's going on. Just when you see somebody die, right? All of a sudden the body's still there, but there, that energy, that spark is out of them and they go cold and everything like that. That spark is actually the person. The body is just the body. The, the, the eternal divine spark that's within them, that's actually their soul. So this place is just temporary and um, corruptible. We seek the incorruptible. We'll talk about that. No, I don't teach a demiurge. No, we don't believe matters evil. I don't teach any of that stuff. Yes, some Gnostics in the past have believed things like that. There's no dogma that says anything like that that says you need to. Just because some people believed that back then or, you know, allege some group believed that doesn't mean that's what we believe. I do not teach that. I do not believe that. Anything of the sort. We know that the world is filled with God and that God has a great glory and that this place is ultimately good. 
So no, we don't teach that and everything like that. That's one of these things that's often grafted onto Gnostics because there have been Gnostic sects that have believed that in the past and we just don't teach that. So it's that simple. Um, that's nothing that's specifically tied to Gnosticism, okay? So to clear that up, I just want to talk, I just want to mention this. Um, one of the things we teach is the Prisca Theologia, which I'll talk about in just a second. Um, but the Prisca Theologia is basically the notion that there's one God, there's one spiritual directive, there's one religion, there's one, uh, there's one cosmology, there's one, uh, there's, you know, one breath, one church, one spirit, we'll get into all of that. Ultimately, that's what the Prisca Theologia is about. We teach the Prisca Theologia that there's one God, that's the, the one spiritual directive, one religion, one cosmology, and all of that is available to every single human being. That's what the Prisca Theologia is all about. We teach that through the Christian doctrine. I teach in this church the Prisca Theologia through the Christian doctrine. Okay? Now, why do I do that? Because my tradition has always done that. Not always, but has for... Uh, you know, parts of the Gnostic tradition have held on to this idea. I'm going to read this from William Kingsland. Mr. Gnostic Revelation Mysteries actually gave me this book, really good book, and it's called The Gnosis or Ancient Wisdom in the Christian Scriptures is what the book is called. This is what William Kingsland said. I'm not using the term Gnosis as applying merely to the tenets of certain Gnostic sects which were more or less in evidence in the early centuries of the Christian era. But I am using the word gnosis in connection with the definite superknowledge, which can be traced back to the most remotest of ages and the oldest scriptures of which we have had any literal records, and which was taught by initiates, adepts, and masters of ancient wisdom in the inner circles of these mysteries and mystery cults. And that's really what we teach here, the mystery school tradition, the mysteries. Um, which have which have been known to have existed in Egypt and elsewhere in the remotest of times. There's a long history of many different myst you know mystery school traditions, whether that's, you know, we can go to the Egyptian schools, we can go to the Pythagorean schools, we can go to the Delphic Oracle, all of that sort of stuff, right? The Eleusinian mysteries, et cetera, et cetera, ad infinitum. There's a ton of these. There's a whole tradition that's based on it. There's volumes and volumes of literature written about it. And, in, and this is the tradition that I am passing on to you. This is why we built this church, to pass on this tradition. This, um, that, is, that is the sense in which the term was originally understood. That's what Gnosis means. It's directly connected to the mystery school tradition. It is the mystic knowledge which affects regeneration, rebirth into the full consciousness of one's divine nature and powers as a son of God. And that's really what you're doing. Awake, you know, this term, this awakening, uh, coming into being, api, uh, theosis, that, what, there's a ton of terms you can, you know, couch it in. But ultimately, it's going from the rough ashlar to the perfect ashlar stone. It's, it's going from the atavistic, animalistic, lost little soul into the fully conscious being. It's going from the lead into that gold. That's really what the mystery school tradition is all about. That's a change interpersonal or a, you know, a change inside you. The Gnostic, and this is what I want you guys to understand. The Gnostic sects of the early Christian centuries who were so virulently attacked by some of the dogma-making church fathers derived their teaching from these mystery cults. So these early Gnostic sects that were dedicated, just like we are, dedicated Gnostics, they're dedicated to the Christian doctrine, right? They were attacked, just like we are now, by these people that are trying to hold on to the dogma in which is not providing anyone any answers and insights into this baby at all. And we know that. They're never going to admit that, though, but that's just their problem. Um, and we'll get to that, too. 
But at the same time, so the let me say this again: the Gnostic sects of the early Christian centuries, who were so virulently attacked by some of the dogma-making church fathers, derived their teachings from these mystery cults. But at the same time, many of them claimed the Christian scriptures as an authority for their teachings. So while they were saying, they were coming in and they're like, hey, we're representing this mystery school tradition. That's what we're representing. This is what Gnostics do. And we go here and say, guess what? This is doing the same thing. This, the New Testament, is actually a recapitulation of the mystery school tradition. These ancient Gnostics recognized that, recognized the mystical sciences in that, penetrated the mysteries, didn't listen to the church fathers who were piling on dogma after dogma, and then they came to real revelations about the book and could explain the book. These ancient mystics, these ancient Gnostics, were, were uh, as I said, at the same time, many of them claimed the Christian scriptures as an authority for their teachings. Why? Because the Christian scriptures, when you get to the mystical heart of them, are teaching the Prisca Theologia. Because the Christian scriptures were completely in alignment, literally completely in alignment, 111% with the mystery school tradition. And that's exactly what we teach. If it wasn't, there was no way possible to ever produce a book like this. It would be impossible. So, that's what we teach here. We teach the Prisca Theologia. We teach that there is only one God, that there is only one church, that there's only one spirit, there's only one religion, there's only one cosmology. It's understood through the mystery school traditions, and that mystery school tradition is passed on best in our language and in our time through the Christian scriptures, and that's exactly what we teach here. Now, most contemporary Christians don't like that, and we don't give two hoots because we are upholding our tradition, our tradition which has been calling you guys out literally for a millennia. The Gnostics have been saying, guys, this is astrotheological. And they're like, devil worshippers. They were saying, guys, this isn't historical. And throughout time, they're like, devil worshippers. And then they say, guys, this is Kabbalistic. And what do the church fathers say? Devil worshippers. And they don't know shit. And you know it, and I know it. And this is what a Gnostic is. It allows you the freedom to say that. It allows you the freedom to say, guess what? I can, I know, I know now through years of experience, my own reading, that you guys have no clue what you're talking about. You're promoting a dogma, pushing on people, and claiming that their salvation, if they don't believe this pile of horse apples, that their salvation is at risk. Well, we know that that's a pile of horse apples, and we're going to upturn that horse apple cart. See what I did there? So, so that's what we teach here. Why? Is because I'm special boy? Is because I'm secret king of Christianity, which I've heard lately? So, uh, no, it's because I represent a tradition, a very well-established, a tradition that contains volumes of literature, endless amounts of, you know, and we'll talk about that. I'm upholding that tradition. That's what we do here. So if somebody wants to come, they've got their own special thing. Not even close. Not even close. Here's the first chapter, first sentence of my new book. It says this. <clears throat> the ideas contained herein are not original. For we know, as it is written, there is nothing new under the sun. An entire tradition of writers have expounded on many of the topics and discussion included within these pages. Literally the first thing I tell you in an entire book about relating the patterns of the stars to the Holy Bible 
Nothing original here. That's what I'm here to tell you. This is a tradition that we're passing on. So, um, it says, so just so you know, the Prisca Theologia taught through the Christian scriptures. Long history of doing it too. Gradually, however, as Christian doctrine became hardened and more and more dogmatic, and the government of the church fell into the hands of prelates, prelates ambitious for worldly power and quarreling among themselves for precedence, this higher knowledge, this higher wisdom, this gnosis became a heresy. And it's to that today. That's exactly what's happened today. Gnostics are heretics, or heretics, right? They're heretical um, to these churches. And they don't know what they're talking about. And the reason they're heretical is because our tradition can completely upturn, completely pull the rug out from their, from the prelates, from the prelates, I think is how you say that, from their heresy of literally telling us that we're heretics, (laughs) right? We're taking, because we can take away, because their government says, you have to come through us. And we say the exact opposite. No, you can have a direct relationship and a direct experience with God. And that's what the whole thing is about. They are trying to take away the very process of personal revelation. They've been doing this for a very, very long time. And guys like me, in my tradition, have been calling that out. And that's what's happening right now, today, as you're watching. Right, Mr. Lee? Right, Mr. Thunder Chicken? General the Pious, you know what I'm saying. So, um... So I want you to, I, w- I really want you to know that this church isn't just like, oh, I just made it up on the fly. I'm just making this stuff up. No, I represent a tradition and I'm going to uphold that tradition. And just so you guys know, mark my words, I'm going to do a damn fine job of it too. So as Christian doctrine became hardened and more dar- dogmatic, the government of the church fell into the hands of prelates, ambitious for worldly power. This higher knowledge, this gnosis became a heresy and what records are left of it are mainly the misrepresentations of its bitter opponents amongst the church fathers. It's going on today. It's going on right now. So, so that's what we teach, the Prisca Theologia. It's the doctrine that asserts that there's a single true theology exists which threads all the religions, all the great traditions, which was anciently given by God to humans. God gives us the Trinity. God gives us the word. God gives us, gives us baptism. God gives us the church. God gives us the spirit. It doesn't come from men. It doesn't come from anything. It comes directly from source. These Gnostics understood that. This is what we teach here. God speaks to us through nature. The world is our classroom. The sun is the symbol of the mysteries because that sun actually tells us what? All of these things that we've talked about today, the design, the order, the pattern, the cycle of death and resurrection, the cross. We just, we just covered all of these things. Direct knowledge, direct insight and wisdom from what? That sphere, that, that disc, if you will, in the sky. So we actually learn from nature. We know that, we know that <clears throat> nature is alive with the presence of God. God speaks through all things. The, the, the outflowing expression, the laws of nature are the outflowing expressions of the laws of God. This is animism, um, the attribution of a soul to plants, inanimate objects, and natural phenomenon. Everything is alive. The belief in a supernatural power that organizes and animates the material universe. That's what we believe. There is a supernatural power that literally organizes and animates this entire thing. This is called the way. This is called the Tao. This is called Logos. 
No, di no difference. This to most Christians is like nature worship, blah, 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 blah. No, we're not worshiping the sun. No, we're not worshiping the trees. No, we're not worshiping the sky or the freaking mountains. We're worshiping the force that's behind all those things. No one's, no one here is going out and being like, oh, holy bark on the tree. Thank you for covering, you know, no one's doing that at all. We just recognize that the spirit of God moves through all things. Um, animism is the belief that an animating force fills our universe with life and spirit. Duh, right? Right? Children can come, come to understand that. But apparently there's a lot of modern Christians, a lot of modern religions that don't. Gnostics put their trust in God, not man. Why? Well, we don't need a good book <laughs> to understand that. We can, we can just go and look at our world and be like, well, there's a lot of corruption, a lot of people, a lot of people lying. I don't know if I can trust, right? The, the center verse of the Bible, Psalms 118.8 says, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in men. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. We go for our, for our understanding of God. We go to the creation itself. We go to God himself. We go to the origin itself, the source itself. Who can, who can lie? Can the sun lie to us? Does the moon lie to us? No. Have you ever been lied to by a man? Can a man lie about mathematics? Can a man come to you and say, 2 plus 2 equals 5, Marty? Yes. Does 2 plus 2 ever quantitatively equal 5? No. No. Which one can lie to you? Which one can? So why do Gnostics put their trust in, in God, not man? Because God doesn't lie. Men lie. So in other words, when we go to understand this book, understand any of the great books, any religious texts, we don't go, well, what did everybody say before that? I'm just going to believe that. And if I have a different interpretation, then, you know, we go and say, <laughs> we do not go to the pastors or the preachers and say, oh, oh, this is what this means. Well, that doesn't make any sense. I've got a whole lot of questions like a whole lot of them, just shut your mouth, young man, and just believe this shit, and then you'll get to heaven. We throw that out the window. We're done with that. We're done with that. We're done listening to men who have no idea what they're talking about try to tell us about God and our salvation. We as Gnostics know that there is a direct connection that man has to God. There's a direct connection that man has to God. So we don't follow men. We don't follow... You know, I mean, I'm assuming, I don't want to say, I'm making an assumption, but the two guys on the upper left are probably not going upstairs. I don't know. I don't want to make any, you know, but uh, we don't follow guys like this. We listen to God. Liar, 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 full of shit, liar, totally full of shit and a liar. Is the sun going to lie to you today? Gnostics need no intermediary between them and God. No intermediary. This creation was not set up so you could be like, well, in order to go, you have to go to the Roman Catholic Church over here. You have to go to the Protestants over here. And then if you go, and then if you, every Sunday, and if you tithe and give that 10% to this church over here, then magically God's going to be like, yes, okay, come up to heaven now. Gnostics do not need any intermediary. Is it to say that we don't need a teacher sometimes? No, everybody needs to be taught some things. Everybody needs, you know, that sort of thing. Everybody needs directions. But ultimately, the Gnostic is approached to say, if you want that, 
that um, you know that that uh, that experience, that direct experience between God. There is no person that you can go to and say, "Can you please hand it over to me?" That's not how it works. Gnostics understand that when God made this place, He made no there. There's there's no um, like I said intermediary or person that you have to go through in order to experience God. Nobody. You can have a direct experience with God. And in that experience, God can grant you information. God can grant you knowledge. God can grant you gifts, that sort of things. This is what Kabbalah is actually all about. So, um, no intermediary. Gnostics embrace all the great traditions. Why? Because we recognize the Prisca Theologia. This is because we can go and be like, wait a second, wait a second, wait, stop, stop. So you guys are telling me your tradition is telling all hoity-toity and full of freaking hubris being like, well, we're the ones that actually came up with baptism. Nobody had baptized. You know, and then you go to the Cherokee and they're like, wait a second, you guys were baptizing children like across an ocean long before we'd ever even heard of this stuff? Why do Gnostics embrace all the great traditions? As I've said before, wait a second, the Norse, you guys had a word and then the Hindus, you guys had a word and then those Masons, they had a lost Masonic word and then the Christ is the word and then you got the word... Why is there a word all over these places? Like a word, a word, a word. Why is it that you guys have a trinity and you guys have a trinity and you guys have a trinity and you guys have a trinity? Why is it that you guys do baptism and you guys do baptism and you guys do baptism? Where does baptism actually come from? Where does the word come from? Where does logos come from? Where does the trinity come from? The Christians? No, it doesn't. It comes from God Almighty. That's where the source of this stuff comes from. It comes from the source. Gnostics recognize that. And Gnostics embrace all the traditions that recognized that intelligence within creation, that recognized what we understand as the Logos, the ever-flowing way, that intelligence that flows throughout the whole thing. There's many, many traditions, many, many people and civilizations that have been on this earth that recognized that and heralded it and saw that it was this other thing, a supernatural, metaphysical thing that comes from afar. It isn't given by some man. It's handed down by God himself. Gnostics also, uh, we don't just go to church on Sunday. Our life is a walking meditation on Christ. I do church, I do this church service, um, you know, every Sunday because I'm like, I'm not going to be on all the time. I'm going to do an hour or two or whatever it is every Sunday. And that honestly, the things that we cover in this weekly thing would, should be enough for you to think about for uh, several weeks sometimes, but at least throughout the whole week. So I do this one, you know, two hour live stream on Sundays and the things that I cover are things that you should really be meditating on the rest of your week. Like, oh, what did he talk about here? This is, let's talk about that tree of life that's in the center of our cosmos. All right, let's go. Maybe maybe tonight when, you know, when I go out and take a pee, I'll look up and see if I can see that pole star and see if I can see Cassiopeia and, and the Big Dipper wrapping around that thing so I can understand my cosmology constantly thinking about, I'm like, well, I'm just going to empty my brain and then I'll figure it out on Sunday. That's not what, that's not what Gnostics do. We have a walking meditation on God. That's what we do. Okay. We also know that it's ultimately up to you that you can have the teacher, the, the guy that's helping you out along the way, be like, well, this is where the mountain is that it's up there. Hey, guess what? There's a couple paths. So you can go right up to that summit. Who's going to have to climb that mountain? You, you are going to have to climb the mountain. Not Pastor fucking Steve, pardon my language, or Bob, or Church Father Dude here, or, you know, um, or, or, or Pope, whatever, Pope Diddley II, you know. No, you have to climb the mountain. Ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek, uh, ask, sorry, ask and it shall be given you. 
Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Who has to do the asking? You. Who has to do the seeking? You. Who has to, who has to you know, go and knock? You. Who has to, for everyone that asketh, receiveth, and he that seeketh, findeth, and to him that knocketh it, it shall be opened. You have to ask. You have to knock. Otherwise, you're not going to receive. You don't just go to these guys over here and say, well, they have the answers, and they have all the interpretations, and I'll go to them. God does not care. We also don't, the Gnostics also don't believe in denominationalism. None. We don't believe in, when, especially when you talk about understanding the Prisca Theologia through the Christian scriptures, when you understand that, we understand that, guess what? Denominationalism is ridiculous. It's the most ridiculous thing in the world. Eastern Orthodox and Anglicanism and Pentecostalism and Protestantism and Evangelism and Lutherans, the Catholics, all for one book? What? When Christ, and we'll talk about this, when Christ said there's only one church, there's only one spirit, there's only one body, literally, direct, right? I mean, I think that's in, actually, I think Paul, a letter from Paul that says that, but, you know, it, let's just say this, in the New Testament, says that clearly. We also know there's only one God, right? And so it's like, okay, there's the monotheism, but then this guy, monotheism, came down and then made all these different versions. No, 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 no. There's only the one God. So we don't believe in denominationalism. There's no reason for it. You're all worshiping the same God and allegedly supposed to be reading the same book anyway. So we understand that um, all of these all of these traditions, the reason that there's so many, there's, you know, uh, as Ari, Ari Shafir, Shafir said, uh, there's 31 flavors, 31 flavors of Christianity. Um, there's more than that, but the reason that there's so many is because they've all lost the Gnosis. Gnosis is not a denomination. Gnosis isn't like a... a a, a specific church and has liturgy and dogma. It's a methodology. It's a methodology. It's knowledge of spiritual mysteries. Most of these churches, they don't even believe there's spiritual mysteries in here. Meaning that when you talk about the spiritual sciences, astrotheology and, you know, gematria, all that other stuff, right? They don't even think it's in there. They think that stuff's devil worship. Hence why they're so lost. All of them have abandoned Gnosis. And that's why they don't know, they don't, pardon my language, they don't know shit. Modern Christianity has tragically fallen away from the understanding of its mystical and occult foundation. Hence why, once again, we at the church are dedicated to educating people on the mystical foundation and occult foundations of their own religion. Hence why we got a big old fat book detailing all the mathematics in three words, three, Lord Jesus Christ, three names, three titles, if you will, a big fat book and all the mathematics of that, and also why you can write a book like this, Scripture and the Stars. They, all of these churches have lost the, the occult, the mystical foundation. It's literally right above their head and right in front of their hands, right, right in front of them, on their hands, and they don't know any of it. And if you presented it to them, they will reject it and call you a heretic. You know how long this has been going on, guys? You know how, in other words, you know how long the churches have been full of poo caca? Long time. Christianity has tragically fallen away from the understanding of its mystical and occult foundation, has lost connection with the sacred science beneath it. For many Christian contemporaries, anything deemed occult or mystical seems to be branded with the harshest claims of Satanism and demon worship. From such often completely unfounded, uneducated, and wildly ignorant assumptions, uh, belief systems are often formed. That's exactly what we have right now. These modern churches, these endless denominations, there's no, it's not truth. It's a belief system. It's a bunch of theories about what this stuff means. None of it makes any sense. 
It's not providing any answers. Nobody, when you ask Christians specifically about what's going on in here, most of them can't tell you at all because they can't make any sense of it. It's because Christianity has fallen away from its Gnostic roots. That's actually what Christianity is. Gnosticism. (laughs) From such often completely unfounded, uneducated, and wildly ignorant assumptions, belief systems are often formed, usually coupled with extremely stringent dogma, Anything that deviates from the historical, literalist view of the Bible is considered born from the devil himself. This is one of the key issues found within the the modern practice of Christianity. This insular thought is the key component that destroys any search for true erudite meaning within the gospel. The esoteric is stripped away, and what is left is the husk, the shell, the skeleton of exotericism, having the heart of the mysteries torn out almost entirely. That's what we're looking at. The modern day churches are a shell, an exoskeleton, and all the meat and all the heart and all the spirit has been completely ripped out of it. And then the churches come up and be like, why aren't you worshiping this, this, you know, feeble imitation of what was because it doesn't bring any answers. And then when people ask questions, you get angry. (laughs) You kick them out of church and shit. You should, one of the, oh my Lord couple letters I just recently received about about the love of church you know somebody had dedicated 16 years of their life and they got pregnant and the church kicked them out so this was on gab Christmas is the celebration of Christ the literal historical Christ birth period well our last sermon just kicked that ass to the curb that's the dumbest shit in the world you've completely lost connection to the very living presence of God that's all around you. Far too many churches, this this is what this guy, he was complaining. Far too many churches this morning with empty parking lots. Well, I wonder why there's empty parking lots. Because you guys have been pushing an interpretation and a belief system onto people with an enormous amount of guilt saying that they have to believe all this stuff and then when somebody asks a question, basic stuff, right? It's like there's an attack. It's like, well, wait a second. Does a guy actually spend three days in a whale? Like, just believe it. Well, what if there's something else there? You know, what What if it has to do with like star constellations and all that other stuff? No, it's devil worship. Why are so many churches, parking lots empty? Because you guys have lost connection to what it's all about. Modern Christianity is idol worship. Ooh, did he just say it? Let me say it again. Modern Christianity, historical, literalist Christianity is looking at an alleged man that lived 2,000 years ago and worshiping him as an idol, as opposed to the living presence of God that's within everything that reverberates through your very fingers. And I wonder why the parking lots are empty. I teach the mystery school tradition. There's a tradition, which by the way, when I say that, I mean there is volumes of literature Volumes of literature, schools that have been set up over the years, theosophical organizations, organizations, you know, lodges and things like that, where people got together and discussed this stuff. And of course, why did they, a lot of times, why did they have to get together in secret? Well, I don't know, go out and go ask all of these, all these sort of truth seekers and stuff like that about Gnosticism. He's like, what, what is their opinion going to be? Like, oh, it's all, yeah, worship's all retarded, blah, 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 blah. That's constantly what you hear all the time. So, okay, well, I guess you're all swine and we're not going to cast our pearls to you. So I guess we're going to have to go do this in private, aren't we? Yes. 
What do you think about censorship and and tyrannical governments coming in and being like right now they're like, you know, they're they're teasing basically like you know, getting to the point where it's like, if you say Bible verses in public, it's going to be considered hate speech. That's where we're going. So where do you think when these people actually had these views, what, a lot of times, what did they have to do? They had a meet in secret for preservation. So the mystery school tradition encompasses, it's very, it's an umbrella sort of term. When we say Gnosticism, what I teach here, it's a very umbrella term and it's really um, encompassing all the mystery school traditions. This includes Gnosticism. This includes Freemasonry. Yes, Freemasonry. I am pro-Freemasonry, just so everybody knows. If anybody has a problem with that, if you have any questions about that, that's fine. But no, it has nothing to do with devil worship. No, it has nothing to do with antichrist, anything. Freemasonry is a recapitulation of the mystery school tradition. And if you're honest with it, that's exactly what it'll teach you. Gnosticism, Freemasonry, Theosophy, Rosicrucian, Knights Templar, the anything mystic, esoteric, occult, uh, syncretic, comparative, mythological, this uh, in general falls under this umbrella of the mystery school tradition. And this is what I'm teaching here. Okay, this is the tradition that I am passing on. This is not, I did not just make this up or just come from some random place and just, no. No, I am passing on a tradition that was passed on to me. I'm upholding that tradition, I'm honoring it, and I'm doing the best by my brethren that helped me. All the, all the, all the seekers and th theologians and philosophers and mystics and occultists that I read over the years that helped me in my own spiritual journey, I am continuing that tradition. That's what this church is about. That's what this academy is about. Okay? So you guys know a lot of people that say, well, you know, uh, what are mysteries and the cult and that sort of stuff. They get branded with all these terms and then all of a sudden all the triggers in their head start going off and they're like, oh, I got to stay away from that. That's all dumb worship and stuff like that. I, for the longest time, I was a completely, not so much anymore at all, but I used to be a very, very voracious reader until I started writing. And then I'm like, Ugh, writing or reading is too much when you're writing. But anyway, um, I had read for a very, very long time. Right, I read science and the quantum physics and like, you know, old, you know, like Native American spirituality and like a whole spectrum of literature. And I'd read all that stuff and, you know, it was interesting and I learned a lot and stuff like that. But it was only when I got to the mystery school tradition, it was only when I got to literature that was presented by Freemasons was I like, was I, my, my brain started going off. I was like, this is some of the most interesting, heady, just like, you know, as far as like content is concerned, some of the most amazing stuff that I had ever read, the connections you make, the subjects that they're, they're brought up, everything com from comparative mythology to symbolism, to etymology, to archaeoastronomy, to, you know, uh, number symbolism, to sacred geometry, architecture, all of these things were, were, are, and have been deeply covered by people that are part of the mystery school tradition. These are the initiates. When you go into um, like a free, like if, somebody, if, you, if you're friends with a mason or something like that, chances are that mason, if he's a dedicated mason, you go into his house and that mofo is going to have a badass library. A badass library. This is what mason, masons do. They collect literature. When I met Amor, came into Wisconsin, we went over to Amor's house. The first thing I did ask him. The first thing I did, I went up into his room and I was like, I want to see your library. <laughs> That's the first thing. Because I was like, I know he's got a bunch of badass books that chances are nobody else has from obscure writers. And this is what Masons do. This is what a lot of these mystery school traditions do. They keep this literature. They keep this liter literature extant, alive. And it's some of the most fascinating things you'll ever read and makes connections like you've never even, you know, expected.
This is why it's so beautiful. And most people, they don't read any of it. They don't even know, like, volumes of literature exist, you know? And that's the problem. So, um, why do we why do we teach the mystery school tradition as well? Because Christ said to. This is what Christ was teaching. Now, of course, you ask a literalist, fundamentalist Christian, they'll be like, no, that's not what it said. You're interpreting it wrong. I can read. You can read too. And he said unto them, unto you, it is given, that's a gift, given to know, gnosis, literally know, that's where we get the word gnosis. So when you say no and gnosis, people think that there's some wide berth between these two things. No, it's literally the same thing. And he said unto them, unto you it is given, it's a gift. That's what Kabbalah means. Kabbalah means to receive, it's a gift. Unto you it is given to know, to know, the mystery of the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, Romans 16, 25. Wait, it's a secret, so it's occulted. And it's a mystery, so it's part of the mystery you know, tradition, if you will. And there's a revelation that you can have, an epiphany, and a moment of clarity that you can have, a revelation on this stuff. And it will be given to you. And Jesus talked to his tribe and group and said, and the disciples asked him, like, hey, why are you speaking in code? Jesus, why speakest thou unto them in parables? Jesus could have came right up and been like, here's the truth. Blah. And there it is. And everybody's like, holy shit. Jesus just gave me the truth. He didn't do that at all, did he? No, he didn't. And did he give this truth to everybody? No, he didn't. In fact, he specifically said, some of you are going to get it and some of you are not. I'm going to give it to some of you because some of you will be worthy and some of you won't. This is specifically what Jesus said. And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? Matthew, some chapter, some 13, I think it is. And he answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. (laughs) But to them it's not given. Okay, let's go back here. Let's define Gnosis again, just as we defined it, just as I teach it. It's knowledge of spiritual mysteries, period. That's it. There's no other, like, you know, you don't have to graft onto this thing a bunch of, you know, uh, you know, baggage and stuff like that that's not part of the definition. Knowledge of spiritual mysteries. Now let's go back to the words of Christ. And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto the parable? Ooh, and he answered, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. To know, knowledge, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. I don't know if there's anything more spiritual than the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus Christ came out, specifically said, to know, knowledge, uh, the kingdom of heaven, spiritual, and the mysteries of that. So in other words, he was teaching Gnosis. Correct. And he even said that some of you, I'm going to give it to my own special little group, my own little lodge, and some I'm not going to give it to. So he had a secret society. Jesus had a secret society. And you can argue this, you could say whatever you want. He's telling you specifically. I'm telling you some things. Other people I'm not going to tell it to. So he's keeping secrets. You also find Jesus all throughout the New Testament when we covered in the book of Mark, where he's like, he performs, he does some like transubstantiation or does some sort of miracle or something like that right in front of somebody. And then he specifically tells them, don't tell anybody. Look it up. We covered it numerous times. So he's saying keep secrets. Be a cult. Okay, cool. Um, we also teach, so just, so that's, a, oh, let me make sure I'm still here. What do we got? 128 watching. Thank you all for joining. I appreciate it. I want to see Amor's library. It's good. Yeah. 
That's, I mean, in all seriousness, that's what I mean. Like, you go into these guys that are like, uh, another guy, Chad Chad Swans. Um, I haven't spoke to him in a long time, but, you know, that guy, when I first spoke to him, like, he was in his library, and you look, and it's just this collection of mystical literature, of people that are out of print, you know, one-off books that a small printing company did that was, like, highly esoteric, and the, these masons, they would collect them in their, in, you know, their personal libraries, as well as the library at the lodge, you know, this is this is what people don't know. You get into those books, once again, and you're honest with them and open, you are going to be presented information, just as I was, that you would n- probably never uh, come across in... Yeah. What's going on here? Make sure. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, we're going to get to that. So Robert... Robert Turdo. Turbo? Turdo. <laughs> Uh, so we'll get into that about, uh, who's allowed here. So, okay. Uh, the other thing that we do in this, is everybody with me? Let me step on Rockfin here. Oh, thank you on Rockfin. Let me get back here. Jeremy Hines. Thank you so much. Angie A. Thank you so much. Matthew Kwiatkowski. Kwiatkowski. Thank you so much. Oh, appreciate it. Ooh, and the lovely Jen McNally's here. Ooh, she's a hottie. Ooh. Okay. So another thing that we teach here at the Gnostic Church is the patristic approach. We teach a methodology in which we do proper biblical exegesis, and this is called the hermeneutic approach. It's the fourfold patristic approach, or it's also called the pardes. This is basically when you go to read the Bible, this is a long-standing tradition in which you, you know, uh, decode the Bible story. So every story has a literal, it has a moral, has an allegorical, and it has an anagogical. So the literal basically is just the literal interpretation. It's essentially the vehicle which encodes the deeper messages of the story. The moral, of course, is a moral. We all know what moral means. We all know what an allegory is, right? Allegory is basically the symbolic and or metaphoric, you know, message of the parable. And then you get the anagogical. This is the last level. Now, this is a longstanding um, methodology of exegesis. In other words, a way in which you deconstruct the biblical stories. And there's levels to this, right? The last level is anagogical. Anagogical literally means a cult. It's literally what it means. A cult. It's the most precise synonym and most concise definition of the word anagogic. And the anagogic means is dealing with the hidden spiritual essence of the story. Now, I learned all of this, by the way, just so you guys know, I learned this. Now, um, one tradition that teaches it, that upholds this method, is the Orthodox Church, the Eastern Orthodox Church. Now, I didn't learn it from them, actually. I only found out later that they used it. I learned this from Kabbalists. I learned this from reading Kabbalah. So, we have an Old Testament. Okay, pay attention. We have an Old Testament in which... This is written, if you ask rabbis, it's written Kabbalistically. There's no question about it. Anybody, any esoteric you know, rabbi that knows his stuff when it comes to esotericism will tell you, this thing was written mathematically, okay? That tradition that tells you that had a fourfold, you know, patristic approach, a fourfold method in which you were to, you know, unveil this. Now you go into the New Testament and the Eastern Orthodox Church actually is, is there's other traditions that keep this up as well, but you know one of the main ones, Eastern Orthodox Church, actually upholds this tradition. But then you actually get into, hey, well, let's actually talk about the anagogic. Let's talk about the, the there's you know number symbolism and there's astrotheology and all these other things attached. And then they they're like, well, no, no, we're not doing any of that, 
right? They've This is what I mean. They've completely lost touch to the very traditions that they are upholding. Masonry is no different. Why do I? Why have I not joined Masonry? Because I see what happened. What's happened to Masonry is the same thing that's happened to the church. You guys have lost your way. You guys have done an excellent job of keeping up the symbolism and the liturgy and the you know the structure of your whatever is the lodge or the church. You've kept you've kept up so much of the mystical nature of it, all of this other stuff. But you've lost connection to what that mysticism is. That's why we started this church. Is because we want to revive that mysticism and we are going to educate you. We're going to educate you on that. So you can see it yourself. So you can have the tools, the precise, the exact tools to go in and, and you know, read the thing yourself. So literal, moral, allegorical, anagogical, this is the fourfold patristic approach that we use. That's been a longstanding approach. This comes straight from um, Kabbalah. So it's actually the, and it's four levels. And it's the, um, the literal, which is the, the Pashet. It's the Pashet, the Remez, the Derash, and then the Sod. The Pashet, the, the Derez. I think I'm saying that correctly. I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> the Peshet, the Remez, the Der Deresh, and the Sod. Sorry, I don't speak Hebrew, so I barely speak English. So this is PRDS. Okay? This is this is what Kabbalists say. This is where we've we've derived the word paradise. That it's one of these, you know, quote unquote acronyms, you remove the vowels kind of thing. Uh, we've covered that before. I don't have time to cover that now. But so this fourfold patristic approach is the Kabbalistic approach. It's the approach for the Orthodox use too. And we carry on that tradition. Why? Because we're Kabbalists. <laughs> I didn't even learn it from the Orthodox Church. I learned it from Kabbalists. So, and what is this? And then we actually go and we don't just say, oh, well, we teach. No, we go and spe go specifically. We go to the etymology. We go to the, here, this is what they're saying. These are the stars that they're referring to. This is what these words mean. This is what the symbols are. The anagogic, when you get to that occult level, it's the astrotheological, it's the, the physiological, the psychological, the astrobiological, right? The zodiac man, the geometrical, the numeric, the natural processes, the natural spiritual processes, the moral, the allegorical. Okay, because why? Because I teach that we want to get back to paradise. We want to get to that place of no death. We want to get to the place of paradise, eternal life. And this is what this biblical hermeneutic approach does. So this is what we teach. Why? Because my tradition has told me that this is how to do it. This is what they've purported and it makes sense. Anagogic, now once again, if you walked into your modern church and be like, hey, you guys are all Kabbalistic, you got, guess what? When you get to the core of these stories, Eastern Orthodox Church, pay attention, right? And you get to the core of these stories, they're enigmatic and they're esoteric and they're myster mysterious and they're mystical and they're cryptic and they're Kabbalistic. They're Kabbalistic, right? They're a cult. People would be like, yeah, you're a devil worshiper. No, 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 that's not. And this is exactly what their tradition teaches. And this is exactly what anagogic means. When you get to the core of this, they're literally telling you it's Kabbalistic and occult. Right there. Arcane, anagogic, abstruse, enigmatic, esoteric, Kabbalistic. Their own tradition tells them that this is Kabbalistic and they ignore it. We don't ignore it. We don't ignore it. We uphold it, we teach it, and we educate. That's what we do. That's what this church is all about. Knowing that, we teach the holy sciences. Yes, we teach Kabbalah. I am pro-Freemasonry and I'm pro-Kabbalah. If you don't like that, that's fine. There's the door to the church. No offense, but that's what we teach here. Most people just don't understand what those things are. I do my best to clarify that. Um, 
Yes, the chart is missing phon phonically. Yeah, ph there's a bunch missing there, Jacob Lodge, so you know, that's always, that, you're, you're totally right, because phonetics have such a huge part to do with the biblical stories, by the way. You can't even understand Noah, Cain and Abel, why Jesus is the son, Emmanuel, Healy, G you know, you can't understand any of that stuff unless you get into phonetics. So thank you for the clarification, my brother. I teach Kabbalah. I teach Freemasonry. If you don't like that, there's the door. No offense. I'm not saying that to be antagonistic or anything like that, but these things are very close to my heart. I've loved them. They've opened up my spiritual world like no nothing else, and so I'm passing that on, okay? I teach Kabbalah. I teach uh, Gematria, which is the art of assigning uh, numbers to letters. I teach astrotheology and astrology. That's what this book is. These are characters that are related to the stars above. The very pattern that God's ordained in the heavens, these things are based on. They're based on eternal principles, transcendental truths. I teach symbolism. I teach psychology, the psychological aspect of these stories. We teach archaeoastronomy, recognizing that so many of these buildings are, are uh, lesson plans in stone. That so many of these buildings, everything from the mound builders of the ancient world to modern, you know, to, um, you know, whatever, Gothic cathedrals and stuff like that, to pyramids and ziggurats and all that stuff, we see that so many of these things are aligned astronomically. Like I said, whether that's the mounds up in, up in Frank's Hill where I used to live or you go all the way to the freaking Egypt and the Giza Plateau, you're going to see that these things are aligned to what? God's canopy. We teach it, we show you what it means, and we, we understand those designs. Uh, we teach architecture and sacred geometry, basics of sacred geometry, basic things like that. I don't teach too much architecture, but, you know, in that vein. Numerology, which is basically just an offshoot of Kabbalah Gamatri, it's number symbolism. We teach the seven classic liberal arts. That's what the foundation of this education system is. It's based on the seven classic liberal arts. We teach the, her the hermetic and the alchemical corpus. What do I mean by that? The alchemical corpus, alchemy is basically the transubstantiation of the soul. It's basically this, this fundamental spiritual process that's embedded within the framework of creation. It's your, your spiritual conquest. We teach that. And we also teach the hermetic studies, which is basically based on the kabayan. Um, you know, the seven, the, what is it? The seven, the kabayan and the seven, what am I saying? Hermetic principles. So I teach, uh, teach a lot of that which we'll go over that whole book at some point. Um, etymology and linguistics, uh, and then just a general reverence for the mystical sciences, okay? Just a general reverence for the recognition that, hey, there's a lot of this information is lost and we're in the time period right now that we're reviving this. You know, um, one of the reasons why I started this church again is to revive Gematria. I'm, you know, um, uh, so Gematria, let's talk about this a second. As you guys know, I know I'm kind of lightning round here, but we're doing it. Um, as you guys know, you got a name Squishy, <laughs> baby. We need a Willie, a Squishy, a Pee Wee, and a Doobie. <laughs> okay. So, as you guys know, I teach Gematria. Now, I don't teach it all the time, stuff like that, but because I'm trying to revitalize this ancient science as understood through the Bible, um, you know, that's what I write the books about. We have to cover it a lot. Um, so I teach only the septenary. Now you guys, now this is something I'm very um, staunch at. I do not accept any other of, the, you know, uh, I don't want to say any, but for the most part, 99.99%, I do not, we don't use any other cipher. I don't use the ordinal. I think it's, and, I, and I've come, I have to come out and say this, I think that's garbage. I think the... Uh, you know, what are all these different 40, 50 other different ciphers that people use. I don't do that. I, I actually steer people away from that. I'm actually pretty against it. I'm actually against people even really using the calculator that I have available on the site. I say, if you're going to do Gematria, write it out. 
Don't just go and punch some stupid stuff into a calculator. Be like, oh, 33, okay, whatever. No, no, no. The whole, the whole thing is for you to actually understand the cipher, understand the mathematics behind that. So I teach and I'm very staunch and very strict about only the septenary cipher, you know, essentially on this channel. I've, anything I've done throughout the years is pretty much, you know, save for maybe one or two things, have been explicitly using the septenary cipher, unless we go into different languages like Hebrew and Greek, okay? I just want to say that. When we're dealing with English, we're dealing with septenary only, and that's all I'll accept here. Now, some people don't like that. That's just the way it is. Why? There's a reason for this. That's not because, once again, I'm special boy and I want, it's good. No, it's because my tradition tells me to. My tradition has passed on this information to me. Why do I only use the septenary? Because you read in the Kabayan, which we just talked about the Hermetics, there's seven Hermetic principles. There's how many? Seven. Why, seven is pretty much, you know, it's like the sacred number around the world, right? Okay. The principles, the Kabayan, the Hermetic Corpus says this, the principles of truth are seven. He who knows these, understandingly, possesses the magic key before whose touch all the doors of the temple fly open. So this is what my tradition has taught me. Seven's pretty important, in other words. Here's what the secret symbols of the Rosicrucians taught me. Once again, mystery school tradition, 111%. This is what they said about ciphers. About the hidden, holy, wondrous cipher. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. About the hidden, holy, wondrous cipher, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, full of divine secrets and natural obscurity in the light of mercy and of nature, that is, the revelation and true right knowledge of Jesus Christ, God and man. The Rosicrucians were saying, hey, the light and the mercy of nature, the revelation and true right knowledge of Lord Jesus Christ comes from what? Seven. That's what my tradition taught me. And that's what I'm passing on to you. And not only that, we're not just passing on with a bunch of opinions, a bunch of blah, blah, blah. We're going to provide you mathematical evidence for the things that we present here. If somebody wants to give an opinion about that mathematics, shut their opinion off. When somebody presents you a mathematical opinion, math, math, when somebody presents you mathematics, right? And says, hey, this is what I'm presenting to you. And they give you an opinion, shut it off. Why? Because in order to actually make the argument, they'd have to present mathematics back to you. That's how it works. No one can possibly do that with the septenary. It decodes seven different languages. And you can even do a mathematical analysis to prove that that should not happen. No one's doing that. No one's going to do that in my lifetime. That's totally fine. Um, it's, just the, it's just the age that we're in. People are just so away from all of this esoteric, mystical understanding that their brains just don't function like that. Well, that's why we're re-educating. So that's why I only use the septenary cipher because the revelation of the true right knowledge of Jesus Christ comes from the holy hidden wondrous cipher. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, all earthly and heavenly wisdom in heaven and on earth, all earthly and heavenly wisdom in heaven and on earth, all the wisdom that you could possibly know. In other words, comes to you from understanding the mathematical foundation Kabbalah, which is the foundation upon which this thing was written. I also want you to know that when I named this church, I did it. <laughs> ben, ben Krupa, I'm so sorry. Ben Krupa, you need to stop hanging out with Adam Green. 
<laughs> Sorry. Okay. So um, I, when I named this church, I did it Kabbalistically. I, it was very much intentional. So um, the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ. If you look at this, this equals 181 in the septenary cipher. Um, it's also the number of letters is 43. Now, why is 43 important? Uh, it's the 14th triangular number. There's a bunch of things there. Um, but 181 is using the rule of Kolel is one away from 180. So that's one of the things I encoded there. And 181 is also the 42nd prime. Okay. 42nd prime. So the, you know, the, the uh, prime numbers being obviously important, 42 being obviously, once again, an extremely important number within this study. So just so you guys know, the, the naming of this church was not arbitrary. I completely encoded it Kabbalistically. I also, um, I also say this, I didn't, let me just say this real quick. Well, I'll wait on that. I'll wait on that. So just so you guys know, Yes, the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ is Kabbalistically encoded with the very things that we teach on this channel. So that was not done arbitrarily. So, also, I only teach the authorized King James only. That's the only Bible that I will teach. I do not teach uh, the New American Bible or the New International Version. What is this? Yeah, the New American Bible, New International Version, the Crossroads, ESV. I don't teach any of those. I teach the authorized King James only. Because this is a long live stream, I'm not going to go into why. Um, but I have provided an entire chapter in this book called, um, what is it called? The Supremacy of the Authorized King James. And I actually go through and say why we only teach the authorized King James. Um, it's just a masterpiece of literature. I'll just say that. And uh, doing a cross-comparative uh, analysis on Bibles to make this short, it's clearly that the authorized King James is the shiznit. That's all I'll say. So that's all I teach. That's all I accept. When we sell our Bibles, that's what we sell. Authorized King James. Um, what do I think about the Bible? What is the Bible? Okay, this is what we teach. Number one, the Holy Bible is a masterwork of literature. Just so you know, people, and I actually, I was, I was telling this to Jaron of all people. Um, you know, when people are like, ah, oh, this is the word of God. It's the word of God. No, it's not. No, Jesus Christ is the word of God. This is scripture. <laughs> so, so when you say the word of God, that's an esoteric notion, by the way, intensely mystical notion of the word being literally the, the presence of God that reverberates through all things. It's the very thing that came out of Jesus or of God's mouth in the very beginning. It, uh, let there be light. Blah. And next thing you know, right? So the word is Jesus Christ. This is scripture. This is a bunch of writings. So people are like, this is the word of God. No, no. Jesus is the word of God. This is a book. Okay. Let's get that. Holy scripture. An incredible book. I would say the greatest, my opinion, this is the greatest book I've ever written. It really is. Just even save for my any attachment I may have spiritually. Let's just sever that right now. You can just look at this book as a person that's, um, you know, um, digested decent amounts of literature, classic works of literature, and be like, something else is going on here. This is a masterwork of literature. That's what we teach. This is also Kabbalistically encoded. It has a mathematical foundation. We teach that. It's also astrologically encoded. We teach that. In fact, once again, that's what the new book is all about. So you can go, here's the story, here's the characters, here's the constellations, here's what they mean, here's the spiritual message, done, son. Okay? That's what this is about. Masterwork of literature, Kabbalistically encoded, astrologically encoded, comparative mythological. You can find Norse stuff in here. You can find Hindu stuff in here. You can find Egyptian stuff in here. You can find et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. In fact, most of the stuff, most of the stories that you get from in the, especially in the Old Testament, I mean, old new, but a lot of the stories, 
the, of the Old Testament, you can completely find like creation stories within cultures all around the world. Nothing explicit to the Hebes that had this information. No, you'll find these stories, aspects or reflections of these stories around the world. That's what we teach. It's comparative mythological. This is the Ne Plus Ultra Book of Mysteries. That's what it is. This is a book of mysteries. It's a book of riddles, parables, allegories. It is literally a book that's that's begging you to challenge it. It's in this sense, it's saying, what does this mean? You come across these dark sayings, these you know of whatever you want to say, dark sayings, you know, riddles, you know, mystically potent stories, and they're like, wait a second, you know, you go through, you'll go through the Bible and be like, oh, this person's doing this, and he went and do blah blah blah, and next thing you know, you get this crazy off the wall, like what is going on here? That is the book begging you to to question it begging you to ask the questions. Now, modern Christianity says, no, it's Holy Scripture. It can never be challenged. Gnostics don't say that. Gnostics say, "What's what do you got? What's in there? What the hell does this mean? I need to find out. It's This book is begging you to ask the questions. This book is begging you to challenge it. This book is saying, I am a book of mysteries. What do they mean? Most Christians nowadays, as it's taught in the church, they abandon that entire process. They're like, you cannot challenge the Holy Bible. It's the word. No, Jesus is the word. This is, this is a book. So, um, it's alchemical and hermetic, meaning, alchemical meaning, it's all about the transubstantiation of the soul. Every story ultimately, re- you know, refers back to that, about your getting your soul, you know, that divine spark that's locked within you home, and it's hermetic. What does that mean? Hermetic means it follows, once again, the, the, the seven classic, you know, hermetic um, uh, principles of, you know, hermetics, if you will. It's also not historical. This is not a history book. Not a history book, meaning there isn't. It isn't to say that there aren't aspects of history involved in it, or that there. This isn't based on lived aspects of history, or maybe there were some real people, right? It isn't to say that oh, there wasn't a flood. No, that's not what we mean. But this isn't the one historical linear account, objective linear account of those things happening. That's not what this is. And anybody that's actually honest with the book can come to that conclusion. Okay. So, and we covered a little bit of that last week. I'm gonna keep going. Okay, so uh, we also teach the alchemical hand of the mysteries. We teach that you are made in the image of God, right? Now, we've got scripture to tell us that, as we know, but, you know, we can also just see that, look, you're a perfected being. Like, you're, you know, nothing is, you know, you've got all your pieces here, if you will. When we look at our hands, our hands are representative of, we call it the alchemical hand of the mysteries is what it's been called, but it's basically that this is a template for universal mathematics, that your hands have been put right in front of you and they are a template for ultimately understanding the grand design of the whole thing. When a woman's, um, you know, in order for a man to get a woman pregnant, right? That, that you got the ovums here and the uterus, right? The ovaries and the uterus. And that egg has to drop down into there in order for a man to, to um, you know, for them to procreate and have sex and the sperm to get into that egg. When does that egg drop? Roughly, it's about it's a roughly a 28-day period, and the egg drops on the 14th day. That's right on your hands. God put the process of you of a woman being able to get pregnant, and He put the mathematical template of that egg dropping in her womb, right here, literally right in front of you. Who knows it? Hardly anybody. Gnostics know it. Gnostics teach it. Gnostics understand it because we can count to seven. Um, so we teach the alchemical man of the hand of the mysteries. The alchemical hand of the mysteries. 
Ten fingers, twenty-eight phalanges. This is Genesis 1-1 in Hebrew and English. Okay? <laughs> so, that's one of the things we teach. That you are a reflection of God, that you're made in His image, and that God has placed the universal mathematics, His design, literally right in front of you. Literally right in front of you. Kabbalah is number symbolism. This is what most people don't know. Freemasonry is a science of morality veiled in allegory and illustrated in symbols, full stop period. That's what Freemasonry is. Freemasonry is a science of morality veiled in allegory and illustrated and taught in symbols, and that's exactly what it is, and that's exactly what we teach. What is Kabbalah? Kabbalah is number symbolism. That's exactly what it is, and that's exactly what we teach. Kabbalah teaches you that numbers are supernatural, metaphysical. They have inherent qualities, inherent attributes. Hello, beautiful. <laughs> They're ordered, they're axiomatic, they're universal. They have their emanations of God, their divine principles of design. They're, there's a numeric alphabet, 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and God has placed that right in front of you. Stella, Ben and Stella, grateful for your work teaching in this community. Sorry for being so late today. Well, you got to tell Ben to put down the bong, right? We're try we got a church service going on here, and he's over there. Um, so that's what we teach. That's what Kabbalah is. Thank you very much, Stella and Ben. We love you very much. Um, that's what Kabbalah is. That's what we teach. So whenever you hear anybody say, well, Kabbalah is this devil worship and there are demons and blah, 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 and this, blah, blah, they'll go all day long and just talk in absolute freaking garbage. You come here and everything I'm going to tell you will be verifiable. Yes, numbers are supernatural. Yes, they're metaphysical. Yes, they have inherent qualities and attributes. Yes, they are ordered. One, what comes after one? Two, what comes after two? Three, what comes after three? Four, yes, they are axiomatic. They're universal. They're available to all peoples. Yes, they are divine principles of a design. Go out and look at a beehive. Go out and catch a catch a, a, a snowflake on your tongue. Is there design there? I think there is. How do we understand that design? Math. And he's placed that mathematics right on your hands. Kabbalah, um, uh, you know what? Oh, here, let me say this. Kabbalah is this notion that for, for, for me, I was never satisfied with listening to what somebody else told me about this book or about the world or about God. We're like, well, this is, in order to really get to heaven and get your salvation and understand God, you have to do this. And then they'll present you some stuff and then you can just poke holes through it all day long and be like, well, that doesn't, you know, I got serious issues with that. Well, you're not going to heaven. You're not reborn, blah, 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 blah. Kabbalah teaches you that who... Um, how are you actually reborn? Or do you go down to the mega church there and they dunk you under some water and then they accept you into the church and then you're born? You're reborn? No. No, that's not how it works. If you came to me and like, Marty, I would like you to baptize me and then be at your church and stuff like that and I grabbed you and I dunked you under some water and I brought you up, would you be reborn then? No. No. God decides when you are reborn. Period. End of story. That's it. Not some preacher or pastor, not me, not anybody. God, the Almighty, and your relationship to him tells you when you're reborn. And guess what? When you're reborn, you'll know it. It is not enough. And so for, for me, I was never, I could never accept what somebody else would say. Not because they, if they were saying something that was true, I could accept it and I could verify it. But because what they were telling me was not verifiable. It made no sense. It didn't bring, provide any, or, any sort of insight into what was going on. Okay, so I said, no, that's not acceptable. I need a better answer than that. And I didn't stop until I got that answer. That answer led me to Kabbalah. That answer led me right to here. <laughs> that's what it did. Kabbalah says it is not enough that man merely accepts God. Lots of people accept that there's a God. 
and they and some even seek to commune with him. But Kabbalah understands that man must be born again to enter into the kingdom. And this process of being born again is a spiritual change that happens within man. God chooses when you're reborn. <laughs> Not the mega church down the street that's getting, you know, I got a big major, like what, $10 from Stella there. They're making $10,000 a week to do what? Fill people, their heads full of nonsense, dunk them under some water, say you're reborn. And then people feel that way. That's not how rebirth happens. God, Almighty, decides when you're reborn. God chooses when you're reborn. Not you, nor a church, nor a preacher, nor a pastor. This rebirth is a gift from the Almighty. Being reborn is a spiritual change which allows man to see with new eyes and a new heart and a more purified mind and soul. This rebirth gives him the ability to see God manifest his powers everywhere around him. As above, so below, so within, so without. This rebirth gives him the ability to see God manifest right in front of him. Right in front of you. Right above you. All over. That's, what, that's the rebirth that we want. Kabbalah is the science behind that rebirth. The Kabbalist is not satisfied with a mere belief in God. He seeks to know God. Proving his mighty works and everything around him, Kabbalah is this pursuit. Once again, do you have to trust? Do you have to trust that this is 10? Do you have to trust that that sun is going to rise on the horizon? Do you have to believe in it? No, it's never going to lie to you. Because God doesn't lie to you. We're going to keep going. What is the tradition that we talk about? Um, well, it's the tradition that my wife and I live too. Simplicity, frugality, minimalism, these sorts of things, right? Developing community, family, the natural order with the, with the, um, you know, it's called the Ordnung, I think is what it, it's called in, in, the, like Mennonite and Amish communities and stuff like that. There's this sort of natural order. They don't need to necessarily write things down. They just know that there's a natural order. In other words, this. Like, do you need you need some laws and some scripture to say, hey, okay, let's see. Uh, we need to bake some bread. My wife and I need to bake some bread and we need to cut some wood. Well, let me, let me guess. Who's going to do the wood cutting? I'm guessing me. Who's going to be baking the bread? The woman. Why? Because it's the natural order of things, right? Like, I can handle the chainsaw. Sometimes my dad's laughing right now. He's like, no, you can't. <laughs> I can handle the chainsaw. I can cut and stack the wood. I'm going to screw up the bread. I'm so much stronger than my wife. (laughs) Okay, just so you know. I can sit, you know, it's like when we were in Hawaii, I remember I did like 25 wheelbarrows full of freaking rock in like a few hours and she did like one. (laughs) It's not because she's weak. It's just we're stronger, right? There's a natural order that God has, has, has given humanity and we're expected to follow that order and uphold that. It doesn't need to be a, st- a bunch of stuff written down. And I think the, uh, the the Amish, they get a lot of things right, a lot of things wrong. But this is one thing that they, they basically understand. The women have their thing that they're supposed to do, and the men have their thing that they're supposed to do. Why? Because God ordains it. God commands it. It's just the natural order, right? We don't need to talk about, we don't need to write down that, um, like, you know, homosexuality is against the natural order. We, do we need a book to understand that ultimately homosexuality is not going to lead anywhere? Why? Well, because you can't make more people when you're homosexual. When you're putting the thing up the butt and all that other stuff, it doesn't create people. So God has just said, well, if you continue that, I guess you're not going to perpetuate yourself. Do we need some book to understand that? No. No. So... 
What else? Farming, homestead, getting back to the earth, being at one with nature, growing organic, getting away from the cities and the noise and the Hollywood and all that other stuff. This is all the things that, you know, you know, we've pushed towards in our life. The respect of individuality must be represented as a respect to the whole. Like you're individual, you're, we're all individual. God made us all unique and individual in our own ways. I've got a bald head and five foot four, you know, and I can play a little guitar and all this other stuff. And I'm completely different than, than Brandon Matthew here, or Ben Krupa, or Mr. Law, or Eric C or, you know, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm, so God made me unique because he's got something unique he wants from me. But ultimately that individuality must be in respect of the whole. Because if you're just doing like, I'm just going to do my own thing. And like, well, then you're not actually giving to the community. You're not actually, you know, that sort of thing. So that's one of the things we, we talk about. Um, simplicity, frugality, minimalism, community, family, natural order, the natural order. That's the Tao. It's the way. Farming, homesteading. Beauty is respected. The good, the true, and the beautiful, really. Right? The platonic idea, right? Uh, once again, respect individuality is, is has to be respect of the whole. Um, just so when people know... Um, Last week it was so funny. It was last week somebody came on here and was like, "You're just doing this for power and money and shit like that." And I like my mom when we were down talking to her, she was like, oh, "What was up with that guy that was coming to the church and he was like saying this stuff?" And it's like, "Yeah, it's just whatever, you know." And I and you know she just sort of laughed it up because I you know I told my mom I was like, "If if let's say Kanye West comes along and he gives me a and he gives this church a million dollars, do you know what I wouldn't do? I wouldn't even buy a new guitar." I wouldn't, we're so minimalist and frugal and stuff like that. And I don't really care about having worldly possessions like at all. We've been shitting in an outhouse for five years. Happily. We're just not like, oh, woe is us. No, we're totally fine. We're not complaining. We're not the kind of people to live high on the hog. You're never going to see me driving a new Cadillac. If I got a million dollars, I probably wouldn't even buy a new car. That's just that. And if you know me, you know, that's true. So we've been shitting in an outhouse for the last five years. So just so you guys know, when whenever any money is donated here, something like that, you know, it is to keep this church alive. And it is you're never going to see me driving a Rolls Royce. You're never going to see me, you know, driving a Cadillac. I wouldn't even buy a new guitar. <laughs> so this church is about perpetuating this tradition long after Jennifer and I are gone. And that's what this money will, any, any money that's donated will go to that. It's to keep us alive. Like I said, it wasn't a month and a half ago. I was seriously looking at having to shut down my own site because people think that this church gets a lot of, it doesn't. You know, it's been great in the last month and, you know, people have really supported and I really appreciate that. But if you, if anybody that comes along that thinks this is about ah, money, 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 stuff like that, you just literally do, you know, anyone that knows us knows that that's just far from the case. We're minimalist. We're frugal. You know, we, we don't even, we never want indoor plumbing when it comes to toilets and stuff like that. So, <laughs> you know, we want to live off grid. We want to live simply. And Why? Because we don't need a lot of things to be happy. We've learned over the years that, you know, God, sometimes some of the happiest people in the world, the people have the least. You know, more money, more problems kind of thing, right? So we we recognize that. So just so you know, if you do, like Lucetta Andrietta, Luca, Lu, I'm sorry, Luca Andrietta, Buon Anu Atut. Oh, I mean, are you, that's, what is that, Italian? There's no way I'm going to read that. If you If you wrote that in English, I'd probably screw that up, brother. <laughs> thank you. I think it says something about thank you for the service. Very grace. What's that? And happy new year. Thank you. Thank you so much. So just so you know, 
that's that's the preacher that you're dealing with. I'm never going to roll up to your house in a brand new caddy with leg rings and shit. <laughs> just, it's never going to happen. I can't stand it. Um, so we understand. We also teach the way. We also teach the way. How many we got watching? 121. Thank you. This is going to be a long one. I'm going to cover every aspect I can that people have asked over the years. So um, we, we teach the way, the Tao. Once again, that's just, there's an order. There's an ever-flowing way. It's um, The Tao is basically the described as the idea of the primordial natural law in which all the universe has been given its shape and mechanics. We recognize that that way is the very way that Christ taught. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that's what we teach. Eternal life, the way, and truth. Truth in all things. So um, somebody has just mentioned, how do I join this cult? This is not a cult. By the way, as I always say, um, or as I said earlier, I'm like literally one of the most iconoclastic people that I know. Like I can't stand celebrities. I can't stand when people are like, oh, this person's amazing, blah, 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 blah. I hate it. I've hated it my entire life. I've actually gotten on people's shit. As soon as I see people that are like, you know, it's like they get egotistical or megalomaniacal because of their position or things like it, it drives me up a wall. I can't stand celebrities. I can't stand rock star shit. I can't stand hoity-toity hubris kind of thing. It drives me insane. So anybody that thinks that that's going to happen to me, you got the wrong guy. That ain't me, babe. No, 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 it ain't me, babe. It ain't me you're looking for. But that's just not me. You know what I'm saying? So when somebody said, is this a cult? No, it's not a cult. So why does everyone have wrenches here? As you can see, most people have wrenches here, unless you're new or whatever. My poo-poo caca quote. Yes, Stella, you're late. You're way, you're way behind. Eric C., thank you so much. Straight spine, level shoulders. Thank you, Marty. Eric C., thank you so much, brother. I appreciate that. Why does everybody have wrenches here? Well, uh, it was actually an idea that I got from James True, out of all people. He actually gave wrenches to everybody. And then that ended up not going well because, I don't know, but um, whatever. But why do I give wrenches to everybody? Because, once again, this community um, is going to be people that have a respect for one another, that are adult, that can handle themselves in a, in a, in a comment section. I, in, in my opinion, this church, I should never have to moderate, pretty much ever. No, I'm going to I'm gonna give you that wrench and give you the power to let you know that, number one, I don't care. I don't want all the power. But because there's going to be a mutual respect. There's going to be a mutual admiration. No, you're not going to agree with everything Marty Leeds says. Did I ask you to? No. But you're also going to be able, if you disagree with something, to control yourself in the comments section. Or if somebody says something, you know, you're going to be nice and kind and actually have a discussion and maybe maybe a disagreement that you can just, you know, let go right? We're going to be adults here. We're going to display our hearts and we are going to show respect for one another. And anybody that can't, you know, that's right, Kristen Hanna. I love the culture here. This is a culture. It's not a cult. Uh, the, if it ever got to a point of guru status or my follow Marty Leeds, I will, I'll probably get angry with you because I can't stand that shit. So this church is all about respect for one another, being adult, you know, having an open heart, having understanding, and caring about the community, and doing everything to uphold that. And every anybody else that can't handle that, you're gone. It's that simple. I don't care if there's 400 people here, 4,000 people, or 40. They're going to show respect. We are going to be upstanding human beings. We are going to be Christ-like, and we are going to let that light shine before all men. That's why everybody has wrenches. Because I'm going to say, I'm going to trust you. So this church, the, the church doors are open to all, you know? 
Maybe not everybody. I don't know if I'd let Biden in, you know. Anybody with, like, a last name Steinberg, I might like. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but the church doors are open to all. But the service will not be disrupted. Okay? That said, you know, I'm not that I'm some sage guru, master guy that you're all supposed to listen and follow and writes all the books and follow Marty Leeds. No, 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 no. But I am in control of the service. I am the one that's presenting this stuff. And I will not be disrupted. And it's that simple. T-Roof Seeker, you're a wrench and a blue dot. That just means you're like, this, this is like you doubled your doubled coolness. It's like you were cool and you doubled it and then you, I don't know what the exponentiated that thing is. So, um, but yes, this service will not be disrupted. It's that simple, okay? No, you know, if you have a disagreement or you have a question or maybe you don't like my perspective on things, that's fine. Not everybody here is, is you know, I am fallible. I'm not infallible. So, okay. And that's that simple. You know, I respect the, and some of these people I've met in, Karen B, I've met her in person, Benjamin Balderson, I met those people, you know, the good people and the people that are here are going to respect, okay? That said, I can't stand gurus. No gurus allowed. If you think I'm a guru, I'm going to kick you out of this church, (laughs) okay? I can't stand that shit. In fact, the Gnostic perspective is, once again, there is no intermediary between you and God. You don't need to go to, you know, Pope Diddley II or Ramashama Haka this dude here, to get your understanding of God, okay? And it isn't to say you don't need a spiritual guide sometimes. Sometimes you do. It doesn't say you didn't need a teacher. It doesn't, it isn't to say that sometimes, you know, that's, you, you know, you need a, a place to educate yourself or an academy church. Okay, that's fine. But if you go to them and say, well, I get, you know, I get all my truths from Marty Leeds. You're an idiot. You're an idiot if that's your case. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm being as honest as, as I possibly can. No, no gurus, right? We're here to learn. We're here to be a collective. We're here to respect. Yeah, but gurus are not in the good way. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So... Okay, so just so you know, that's never going to happen here. I can't stand it. And anybody that actually knows me knows that that's true. So that we're not into that at all. The only guru we have is Christ. That's our intermediary, if you will. Okay, and we also know what that means. We also know what Christ means. Okay, um, I teach faith, hope, and charity. Okay, this is one thing I always, I always, you know, I, I just had a reverence for or connection to or that sort of thing i actually learned this from freemasonry i little did i know it was actually three theological virtues from the new testament but you know faith hope and charity to have you know to have the faith and so in, in the hope and things bigger you know in god and things like that and charity to to you know i like i'm you know i get paid to do this now but i've been doing this for the last 10 years working multiple jobs and stuff like that just because i knew it needed to be done it was completely charitable work you know, in fact, a lot of times I lost money for several years doing this. Okay. So faith, hope, and charity is, you know, what we teach. Okay. I learned that from masonry. And if you don't like that, tough titties. That's right. I said tough titties in a church service. And we'll get on to me swearing because I'll get into that. Okay. What's up with the rosaries? You guys wear rosaries. Hey, I heard you're not supposed to wear rosaries or you're the blah, 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 blah. It's like, you're doing this wrong. Blah, blah, blah. Why do you wear rosaries? Isn't that a Catholic thing? Okay. Why do I, why do we wear the rosaries? Number one, it's just a reminder of your spiritual life. That's it. Number one, that's, that's the, at the core of it. That's all it is. It's basically, I put this on every day to remind me. It's like, oh yeah, you get, you know, you, you, you fucked up a lot in your life and you probably shouldn't do that anymore. <laughs> It's one of those things, right? Um, why why do we do rosaries? 
Number one, when I got into math and things like that, um, I, I said this is going to be a long one. I'm going to cover literally every question that people have had over the years. So, um, uh, jewelry. <laughs> um, no, I don't wear it as jewelry. I wear it as a reminder. It's like sort of whatever. But um, uh, when I got into math, sorry, I almost lost my train of thought there. When I got into gematria and, and math and things like that, and, you know, really coming back to the Bible, because my traditions have been like, hey, the mysteries, Christ, the mystery school tradition is Christ, constantly led there, constantly led there. So when I got into gematria, I found out that, well, two of the things that I was focused on very much so was, number one, Jesus Christ, and in gematria, the septenary cipher equals 59, and then... Oh, it's, this guy says, okay, I'm out. That's Freemasonry you're teaching. Actually, it's not because it actually comes to the New Testament. This is what I'm saying. You're gone. Yeah. So that's cool. You don't need to be here. Cool. So what two of the things I was teaching was, or, you know, really come to understand and was Christ and the English alphabet. So Jesus Christ equals 59 and English alphabet equals 59 in the septenary cipher, which is the only thing we use. 32 and 27, 27 and 32, 59 and 59. Everybody see that? Well, the, the, the rosaries have 59 beads. So when I came to that, I was like, well, why is there 59 beads in the rosary? Okay, so when I started asking these questions, nobody had any answers. Literally, I would, I would like go into like cat, like rosary books and they'd tell you, oh, it's like this many beads and you do this many Hail Marys and you do all this stuff like blah, 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 blah. I was like, okay, but why 59? What's the reason? Okay, well then... We actually cover why 59 is the sexagesimal system. Jesus Christ is the sun. That's how you map and track the sun, the sexagesimal system. You know, uh, is 0 through 59 is that sexagesimal system. That's on the rosary. 59. So immediately I fell in love with the rosary. Oh, thank you so much. Why don't we say this? Daryl McGraw, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Dave Messenger, I don't wear rosaries. I wear tzitzi, which means blossoms. Interesting. Heather Lindsay, my first year attending church on New Year's and can't imagine a better place to be grateful for this now and community. The amount of work and research Marty has put in over the years can't be overappreciated. Y'all are the best. Thank you so much, Heather Lindsay. I really appreciate that. God bless. I think I'm glad you're here. Okay. So, um, da, da, da. So, I had this reverence to the, you know, this strong relationship to the rosary over the years. One of the reasons was my great aunt, Sister Monica. Um, so there's me on the on the very right there. I'm the the short stout kid, still short and stout. And that's my sister Monica, my great aunt, and then right next to her is my grandmother. Um, and they are both passed now, of course. Um, may they rest in peace. And then there's my brother on the very left there. So my great aunt was part of a, she was a nun and dedicated her entire life to God. Okay. So she, and I actually was given her rosary and that's one of the, one, yet another reason why I fell in love with it because I was just like, oh, this thing is so cool. And so I had the rosary that my sister, my great aunt, my sister Monica had for many years. And then when Jennifer's dad died, I gave it to her to put in his grave. So, you know. And then I forgot I did that, and I thought I lost it, and I felt like dog shit. Oh, my God. I felt so bad. I'm like, I lost Sister Monica's rosary. And then Jennifer's like, no, you gave that to me. From, and I'm like, oh, my God. Thank God. It's just Anyway. So uh, my Sister Monica was a nun, and she was in a convent in Dubuque. Dubuque, which means Dubuque, in, if you're from the Midwest. Uh, in Dubuque, uh, around Dubuque. And so she dedicated her entire life to God. 
That's it. Charity. That's all she did. She didn't make money. She didn't, you know what she had? She, I have, I have, this woman essentially had her gar, her garment that she wore. She lived in one small room. She had a bed, a table, a lamp, her rosary, and a Bible. That's what she owned her entire life <laughs> for the most part, right? Although, and she dedicated her entire life to God. Okay. So, and I actually have her Bible. This is, this is her Bible. It's a really bad version of the Bible, by the way, but God bless her. It doesn't matter. So, um, so to me, when I got, when I came into all of this information, love and respect, Andrew Masonette from Las Vegas, love you too. Um, so when I started, you know, started doing this, I, I had this strong connection to the rosary, the math, and then my, my, my great aunt and trying to, you know, honor her, you know, it got to a point where it's like, oh, well, we, you know, we don't have a family and things like that. You know, what am I doing with my life? Well, I'm going to honor my family and say, well, she dedicated herself to God. I'm going to do the same thing. And I actually thought that very much, you know, um, when I was about 32, 33 years old, I was like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what God, you know, he kept, you know, Parting the waters for me to walk, if you will, and this is what I'm supposed to do. So the reason that we do the the rosaries is to really honor the tradition, honor my family, and honor my sister Monica. So and you know, uh, so yeah, that's why. So 59 beads, it's a reminder and it's to honor the tradition. So and um, my sister Monica was a wonderful person. My mommy always used to say that they used to go down there, and she used to love to go down there just because she was always just so wonderful. Um, my mom is asking me to set her up to start listening to you because I've been talking about you so much and my other family members are questioning our cosmology thanks to me and your teachings. Hey, you're welcome. Mimi M. Lion lays with lamb. That's right, sister. Love ya. Love ya. Okay, so um, now my sister Monica, she is more... My, my mom used to love to go there. She was just a charitable person. Literally gave her life to everybody else besides herself, essentially, is what she did. Amazing woman. And so she's probably uh, up in heaven right now. And if she is up in heaven, she's probably having one of these sandwiches. Now, for those of you that don't know, this is... <laughs> this, so when we are in Hawaii, they used to have this thing called the Maku'u Market. And there's this guy there. And he made these eggplant parmesan sandwiches. And these sandwiches are fucking good, dude. Pardon my language, but my lord. This is what, I'm assuming this is what my sister Monica, my sister Monica right now is up in like a lazy boy with Jesus and they're just chilling. They're like, yeah, what's up, bro? And I'm guessing that they're eating a couple eggplant parmesan sandwiches because that's how good they are. If I get up to heaven and the pearly gates swing wide open, they're like, young Marty brother, come in here. And it's God. Like, Whoa. I'm like, yeah, it's cool. Do you guys serve those eggplant parmesan sandwiches in there? And God's like, well, we missed that one. I'd be like, that's cool. I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna go back down to Earth because at least I can get a sandwich there. This sandwich is so freaking good. Anyway, eggplant makes me poop everything. <laughs> Not this sandwich though, my lord. Anyway, so that's probably what they serve in heaven. Um, my potty mouth. Okay, so yes, as you guys know, this is a church service, and occasionally you'll hear a shit fly or a fuck fly, that sort of thing. Okay, well. Uh, I'm working on that. I try not to swear as much, but you guys have to know that um, I never intended to do anything like this ever in my life. I had no intention of ever even being an author, let alone writing on mystical stuff and religious things, let alone opening a church 
And we'll get into that in a second, what this church is really all about. Or selling Bibles or rosaries. I had no intention of ever doing anything. This was not in the books at all, okay? I grew up in sign shops and bars, okay? In Wisconsin mainly, right? And, you know, those people that, you know, uh, frequent those places, they tend to punctuate sentences with curse words. You know, like my friend Tree that I used to have, like he would say the F word like five times in a sentence with four words. You know what I'm saying? So you'll just have to let that go and I'm trying to work on it. But uh, yeah, fucking A right. You know what I'm saying? Um, chances are you're probably still going to get me swearing a lot. So, okay. So I'm working on it though. Um, how about this one? We got a lot to go. We're going to, I want to cover as much as I can here. Was Jesus a historical figure? This is one of the first things that people will ask. Well, was Jesus real? What was he a historical figure? You, well, we already said that we, we understand this is not a history book. It's not meant to be a history book. So we'll cover, was Jesus, a, how can you teach Jesus, but you don't think that he was a historical figure? Well, okay, let's, let's cover this. It is the contention put forth here that the stories recorded of Jesus in the New Testament are most likely a product of euhemerism, which is the notion that real historical personages or events have been exaggerated in their retelling, as well as cataracterism, which is the process of transforming a hero or mythological figure into a star. Okay, so was there a flood? Yeah, there probably was a flood. Does that mean there was a 600-year-old dude named Noah that built a big-ass boat and got all the animals that get on that boat and then they sailed the flood and then he sent out a crow and then or a raven and then a dove and then the dove came back and was like, land. Okay, yes, there probably more than likely was a worldwide flood, right? Does that mean that Noah was actually 600 years old and tipsy and built this big boat? And No, that's mythology. But all the great stories have always been, uh, almost always been related to real world historical events and then mythologized, anthropomorphized, dramatized, poeticized. This is what, in general, what we teach is going on with the Bible. So it doesn't say, no, there wasn't a flood or anything, or maybe there wasn't a guy named Jesus Christ. But this is not the one historical linear account of said events, period. It's not. Um, just as we may assume the historical events of a worldwide flood in Noah is the mythologized tale of those who withstood such an event told through the hero figure of Noah, we most assuredly see the same thing happening with Jesus as well. The myths and grandiose tales within the Bible must be assumed to be based on lived events in history. With that allowed, it must be said that proving the historicity of any of them is an impossibility. As Gnostics, we recognize this. We don't try to play some, you know, stupid game in our head to try to make all this stuff fit. No, it doesn't make any sense. Why Why are we trying to force it to make sense? None of this seems like, you know, that, that it's history. It can't be proven. We're going to acknowledge that and be honest and truthful. It's that simple. If people don't like that, that we're being honest and truthful, well, then let them be lying. Who cares? You're what you need to do is be honest and truthful with yourself and God. That's it. That's it. Okay? I mean, if you're honest and truthful with yourself, you'll be honest and truthful with the world. And if you're honest and truthful with God, you'll be honest. And the rest is people's opinions and their perspective and their beliefs. Who cares? Who cares? That's not your concern. Gnostics, we, we don't, you know, when it says, oh, um, it must be said that proving the historicity of these stories is an impossibility. And this can't be debated by any reasonable, honest man. You can't prove the historicity of anything that goes on in the Bible. But for us, it's no concern. There's no con That's no concern to the mystic or Gnostic. Because we realize that these tales do happen in our history. 
our history, our own lived history. And that's what this book is about. As the drama of the Holy Bible is happening right above our heads, the scripture is in the stars. Noah's Ark is happening right there. Right up there. If you want to go see Cain and Abel, just look up. If you want to see where Adam and Eve are and the grand serpent that's in that garden, you just look up. If you want to, you want to celebrate Christ's birthday, you don't have to go 2,000 years in history. You don't need to do that. You just need to follow the sun that's never going to lie to you. As Gnostics, we recognize that. We recognize who can lie to us and who can't. And we follow that which, does, that which is incorruptible. Okay? So these stories are going on in history. They are historical in our history right now. The tale of Jesus' death and rebirth, and thus our own story of death and rebirth, is etched into the heavens no matter which way we look. And we already talked about that last week. How we found, we looked in the north, we looked in the south, we found a cross everywhere. Where does it come from? In maintaining a solely historical position when reading scripture, what the reader misses are the grand esoteric and expertly hidden truths that lead one to the core and central message behind the entire book and behind Christianity itself. Instead of engaging in a mystical and deeply spiritual quest through understanding scripture, one is instead expected and often demanded to believe in wild outlandish fictions and outrageous implausible tales, all under the Jesus or under this notion that it's like, oh, this is all miracles. And all these miracles happened 2,000 years ago. We don't see anything like that today. And you just have to accept that. And if you don't, you're going to hell. That perspective is dead in the water, and you guys in your life will hopefully watch it die <laughs> because it's providing nothing. If we are to maintain and uphold the belief of Jesus is purely and only a historical figure, then we have to extend that belief out to every story and fable in the good book and every character and event recorded within it from beginning to end. If we say this guy is historical, Jesus in the New Testament, then we have to say that everything else in here is historical. And that becomes a huge problem, doesn't it? At least for people that are honest with themselves. This is what Kingsland said again from the Gnosis or Ancient Wisdom in the Christian Scriptures. The traditional dogmas of the church that are upheld today, in which those church parking lots are empty. Remember? The traditional dogmas that are being upheld today of the church, which have come down to us through the centuries, are gross materializations of the real teachings as to the spiritual nature of man as contained in the Gnosis. Gross materializations of the real teachings as to the spiritual nature of man. That's what's going on. You go into the churches and sit in those pews and you drop your $100 into that little basket. What you're getting is a gross materialization of spiritual truths in which they've abandoned the Gnosis, they've abandoned the Kabbalistic, they've abandoned the esoteric, and now it's a shell. It's a husk. And there ain't nothing there. These dogmas are the result of the literal historizing, hyster, hyster, how do you say that? Historicizing of narratives. In some cases, however, having a semi-historical basis, which were originally intended as allegories covering deep spiritual truths. I got one more for you. It will be next to impossible, Alvin Boyd Kuhn says. Great esotericist Alvin Boyd Kuhn. This guy, if you think I'm harsh to like literalists and fundamentalists, if you think I'm harsh, you should read Kuhn. Holy shit, this guy tore into a man. So he said this, it will be next to impossible. As you guys know, try to go convince a, a, a Christian believer that, hey, guess what? It's not history. It will be next to impossible to bring minds habituated to the wholesale acceptance of the romanticism that has been built like a halo 
around the person of the figure Jesus to any fully detached and emotionally unprejudiced view of the matter. Psychology knows full well the hypnotizing force of the religious inculcations implanted on the sensitive plate of the mind of childhood. That's exactly what's happening. This idea of Jesus, his person, history, has been implanted into the minds of children. They grow emotionally attached to it. And then, then, then when, when they try to make sense of the Bible later on in their life, they either have to abandon their beliefs, they abandon their logic, their rationale, and you know believe in a bunch of wholesale freaking nonsense, or the other. They, this produces what psychologists have called a conditioned reflex. That's exactly what you're dealing with today in, in, in modern Christianity. You go up to a Christian and say, well, that's not a history book. What do you get? A conditioned reflex. That's what you get. Trigger, 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 trigger. You can watch it happen now. Now that you're all Gnostics, you can see it happen. They produce what the psychologists called a conditioned reflex. That's what you're dealing with when you argue with Christians. This is hard to supplant or overcome by any merely mental presentation. It often persists even when the reason negates it. Said W.J. Bryan, this speaks volu- This basically sums up your modern-day Christian. Listen. I would accept every statement in the Bible literally, no matter how it contravened my reason. I'm just going to believe this. Whatever it says is truth, no matter how it contravenes my reason. No matter how many times it says, well, that's not logical or possible. Well, I just have to put it in the category of miracles. It happened and that's it. End of story. No more mystery. Wrong. Wrong. And this church is dedicated to showing, in one respect, how wrong that position is. And by abandoning that position and taking the Gnostic perspective, how many answers are made? What else do we believe at the Gnostic Church and Academy? We believe in the true cosmology. We believe that... We believe the earth is flat. We don't believe the earth is flat. We know the earth is flat because we can do geometry. Um, you can go around the world and find out that there is no curvature. And there are literally dozens and th- dozens, dozens of thousands of examples of this being, <laughs> being the case. Okay? Culture around the world, including the one that, you know, the, the Holy Bible that uh, we purport, verily says this, Right? We can go to the Mayans, they said it. We can go to Lakota, they said it. We can go to the Hindus, they said it. The Egyptians, they said it. All those native tribes all over that said, yeah, this place is flat, it's four-cornered, it's probably a dome. They pretty much explained our cosmology around the world in all of these different religions, generally the same, for the most part. That song is called, it's by Jabba, and it's called, The Earth is Flat, It's All an Illusion, right? So, so we teach true cosmology. Right? And do you need a book to understand that true cosmology? No. Okay? You're, here's, here's one. Okay. 
the globe model says, okay, right now you're on a globe. It's like this, it's spinning and you're tilted like this. You're like 23.4 degrees. And that globe is spinning at 1,037.5 miles an hour, 300, 400 miles faster than the speed of sound. Yes. And it's spinning counterclockwise really fast, but you don't experience that. You've never felt the earth move. You can't prove spin. You can't prove that we're tilted this way. You can't prove gravity, but we can do basic geometry and find out that what they're saying about the curvature of the earth is bullshit. So we don't listen to what man have to say. We go to God himself. God, what do you have to tell us? Are we spinning? No. Okay. End of story. That's right. So Jabba knows what's up. Now, it's one thing to just say the Earth is flat, but the, being the, the, the fact that the Earth is flat actually gives us insight into where we are. Once again, we don't need a good book to prove this. We can just go out and experience our experience and know exactly what it has to tell us. We can learn from God's creation itself. Okay, the Earth is flat. We're on a flat, stationary plane. It is a plane of existence. Everything that's down here is the physical. It's the known. It's the corruptible. It's corporeal. It's terrestrial. It's temporary. It's the material. It's the matter. Everything that's above you is what? Metaphysical. Literally beyond the physical. Can you go and touch the sun? No. Did we land on the moon? No. Did Is there a car driving around Mars and all of that? No. Everything is beyond the physical, which means you can't go there. That's what metaphysical means. Beyond physical in one sense, right? Uh, it's the unknown. We have no idea what the lights are. They're lights. That's it. Those. Wh what's the sun? I don't know. What's the moon? It's a big rocky thing, really. Why is it invisible sometimes? Uh, upstairs is incorruptible. You can't go and corrupt it. Are you going to go and change the path of Alnatak, Alnalam, and Mintaka? <laughs> are you going to go and be like, Sirius, you're going to go on the other side of the earth now? Nope. Nope, God commands all of that. You can't do shit about it. Ooh. Incor incorporeal, celestial, spiritual. That's what the upstairs is. We actually fully realize exactly the cosmology that God gave us. We respect it and we purport that. Okay? We also know that those things were given geometric uh, corollaries. Heaven and earth. Heaven is a circle. Earth is a square. That's something, once again, sacred geometrical study uh, around the world will we'll tell, we'll tell you. I've done live streams on that. Also, we learned that from the Bible. In the beginning, God created the circle and the square. In the beginning, God created the spirit and the matter. In the beginning, God created the upstairs and the downstairs. In the beginning, God created the celestial and the terrestrial. In the beginning, God created the incorruptible and the corruptible. And those are all that our entire cosmology is understood through two geometric forms. Yes, this is true. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 50. How else do we know that we can't go upstairs and that it's metaphysical? Now, that this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. So, not only is that exactly what we experience just walking outside, metaphysical, physical, corporeal, incorporeal, that's exactly what you experience, then the good book tells you that as well. We are fallen. We also teach that we are fallen. Once again, the Gnostic knows that there's a divine spark within and that you're supposed to take that spark home. Heaven is eternal life. We're in actually in a world of death right now. That's where you are. You're in the world of dead matter. Everything goes to decaying and rotting and it's corruptible and temporary. We're here in the temporary to find that which is not temporary. You're given this little tiny spark of life 
this 70, 80 years, hopefully if you live a long time, maybe longer, in, in a world of corruptibility and temporary shit to find eternal life. And that's what we're here for. That's what the whole structure, the whole teleology, the purpose of earth is for. Everybody has that purpose. Everybody has that spiritual directive because there's one God. We also know that this is the place where evil exists. Evil is allowed to exist. Upstairs, evil doesn't exist. God has made this place and allowed evil to exist so that we would have the, um, the labyrinth, the, the dojo, the labyrinth, the, 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 the sufferings and the pain and the, the obstacles in life in order to undergo to bring that spark home. That's what we understand. We also understand that this place can never truly be a utopia down here. Now we can get as close we can get as close to golden age and as close to peace on earth as we possibly can and we should fight for that. We should push for that in this world. But we also know that this is the place where souls undergo their spiritual work. So evil has to be allowed to exist down here. It's just the way it is. That's part of it. But blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. That means we have a we have a, a goal and that is to bring peace on earth. Um in any way we can. Um, we want to do the will of God, in other words, to be in that flow, to be in that way. Um, our, we also teach this, that we're in biblical times, that we're always in biblical times. There's, we've always been in a place that's good and evil, okay? And we're just understanding just truly how wicked evil is in these days and how much good we have to bring. I also teach this, the not focus on um, the evil of the world. You have, to, you have to recognize it. You have to be aware of it. You can't ignore it. Okay, you can't just be like, well, I'm just going to not, you know, I'm just going to go in my life and live this like blissful ignorance and just not act like, you know, the World Economic Forum is, you know, blah, 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 blah. No, you need to know those things. But if you're sitting there fixating on those things and constantly in that in that dirt and that mud and that muck and all that other stuff, kind of be like, oh, I think that's God does not want you to live in their world. God wants you to live in his world. We are here to live in God's world, not the corrupt ass world in which the World Economic Forum and the IMF and the UN and the freaking whatever. You guys know the who, all of these people that are, are bringing to bear. God does not want us to live in their world. They're not in control of the world. God's in control of the world. Okay. Also, um, sorry, I'm just going to keep going here. We teach exactly what the Bible says, but um, yeah, live in this world and not of this world. Exactly. Exactly. Whiskey. Marty, this is fire. Thank you, Jam Grassy. Okay, we also teach that what? Well, just as we know, is there many different Earths? Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But we know that there's this one, right? We know that there's this cosmology. We know that we're on this plane of dimension, right? So we teach exactly what we experience. There's one God. There's one faith. There's one baptism. There's one spirit. And there's one church. Now, once again, the Christians or maybe some Jews or whatever would come along and be like, well, no, we're doing whatever. We have the first thing. And no, baptism is our thing. And just as we did, we did the Cherokee thing. We're like, well, wait a second. How they were dunking people in water too, literally for the exact same reason of replenishment of like literally that sort of thing. Right? So which bat, whose baptism, baptism is it? Who does it belong to? Is the Christians, do they own baptism or is it the Cherokee or maybe neither one of them own it and it's God's. That's what we teach as Gnostics. There's one God. There's one faith. There's one baptism. One baptism. There's one spirit and there's one church. I did not start a church. I say I use that language flippantly when I say oh, I started a church. I didn't actually start a church. This isn't. I didn't start this church. We're just getting together and recognizing the one church that already is. Okay. This isn't like some special church with some doors here and they, they, No, we're here to recognize the one church and the one spirit. 
What do we mean? Churches, um, by the way, churches is, you know, one of the definitions is the whole body of Christians, okay? We understand that the entire thing is the church of Christ. The entire thing is God's church. Anywhere you go, you don't have to go, as I like to say, ripped off from Tom Waits, like I said, not original, but you don't have to go down to the church on 5th and Vermouth and sit in those pews and then you're at church. You're at church wherever you want to be at church. As we say, we're walking meditations on Christ. Does that mean if I go out right now, it's like, well, you're not at church. Bullshit. Anywhere where I put my two feet on the cold, hard ground, I am in the church of Christ. That's what we teach. Okay? We also teach there's one spirit. And the, the natives and all these other cultures that understood this one spirit, they were breathing the same spirit. They had the same one spirit. Now, once again, you'll have these Christian denominations be like, no, we have the spirit, blah, blah, blah. No, no, you don't. There's one spirit. For, we, for by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. There's one body, one spirit. Ye stand fast with one spirit, one mind. But he is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. For him, through him we have both access by one spirit unto the Father. One spirit, one spirit, one spirit. What is spirit? We understand exactly what spirit is because we can, uh, you know, read definitions. Spirit comes from breath. Breath of life, breathing, breath, breath of God, inspiration, breath of life, animating your vital principle in man and animals. That breath is who, when I breathe, am I breathing different air than Jennifer? That air is connected to the air over there. And then that air is connected to all the air everywhere around the world. In other words, that one spirit is everywhere. And that is the breath of life. Anybody that breathes is breathing the one spirit. That's what we recognize as Gnostics. This is not some mystical, you know, fantastical thing. When we say spirit, we know exactly what we're talking about. When we say one spirit, we know exactly what we're talking about. Defined. You're breathing in the spirit of God. There's one body. Just as you say, there's one church. For as we have many members in one body and all members not have the same office, one body, but now uh, are there many members, many members, but one body. And they, and that he might reconcile both uh, unto God in one body, right? So we understand the one body, the one church. There is it in oneness. Okay, yeah, so there's this little flange here and this one here and then there's this here. And then I got my little penis and I got my, I got my two knees here and then my toes down there. And they're all connected to the one body. The same goes for you and Christ. For as the one body is one and hath many members and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For we being many are one bread and one body. For we are all partakers of the one bread. For we are by one spirit. We are all baptized into one body, one, one spirit, one body. For as we have many members in one body and all members have not the same office, I have a different office than you. You have a different office than me. Can you do what I do? No. Can I do what you do? No. Right? Individuality is respected in the whole. Different members, they don't have the same office. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and every one members one of another. That's exactly what we teach. That's exactly what you experience in the world. And that's exactly what the Bible tells you. We're just honest about it as Gnostics. We also recognize that you are made in the image of God. So you have to know yourself. You have to know this. Hence why we do the study of the phalanges. Hence why we do the astrobiology. Hence why we look at the anatomy. Hence why we, we, we go and, we, you know, we recognize the, the, the perfection of the human form. We teach exactly as it's understood all over the world. Neither shall they say, lo here, lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. All of that stuff up there is reflected onto what's going on in here. That's what we teach. 
doesn't mean, well, if you want to go and worship and understand the king of God, you have to go to the Orthodox church over here. No, you don't. You have to go to the Protestant church over here. No, they've got their head up their sphincters. You have to go to the Catholic church over here. No, no, you don't. The kingdom of God is within you. Wherever you place your two feet on the cold, hard ground, that's where the one body of Christ is. That's where the one spirit is, and that's where the one church is. And the kingdom of heaven is right there. We teach that you are the real temple. God dwells in a temple not made by the hands of man, and the only temple not made by the hands of man are the one on the side of your foreheads. That's where God dwells. That's what King Solomon's, this is what masonry, once again, um, that's what masonry teaches you. Hence why I uphold the, 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 you know, the, the doctrines of masonry. Uh, masonry, one of the big things that they will teach you about is Solomon's temple. Why? What is Solomon's temple um, an, al- an analog to? Your temple. That's what it is. They built Solomon's temple for the Lord. Go read it. Go read in Kings. They built the Solomon's temple for the Lord. Only problem is the Lord dwells in a temple not made by the hands of man. So what temple were they building? Why does Freemasonry tout the building of Solomon's temple? Because it's an allegory for building your spiritual temple so that the Lord can come and reside within you. This is also what we teach. Kabbalists will tell you this. This I actually learned this from a Kabbalist directly, that um, the monad is, uh, is, a, is a geometric representation of the terms Lord and God. Lord is the Lord on earth and God is God in heaven. That Lord exists within you. The terms Lord and God, understood through the Kabbalistic understanding anyway, the teaching, is that that Lord is the spark within you. Exactly what we say. You're here, a divine spark put in a body. It's temporary. You got to figure your shit out. Get it home. That's the Lord within you. So that's what we teach. Again, you're made in the image of God. All the celestial heavens, everything above is within you, reflected in you. That's what we teach. Why? Because my tradition has been teaching the Zodiac Man for, um, you know, like I said, a millennia. What does this mean? You're made in the image of God. You're made in the image of the heavens. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he, him, male and female created he, them. We can just know that by looking at ourselves, and we can also go to Scripture, and they're going to say the same thing. We also teach the Adam Kadmon. It's a Kabbalistic idea. Once again, most people don't recognize, hardly any Christians recognize that when you talk about Jesus being the second Adam, the final Adam, the Adam Secundus, that is a Kabbalistic reference, directly and specifically. Directly and specifically a Kabbalistic reference, period. So the Adam Kadmon is this, this recognition of the perfect, perfected man. Now that perfected man came through the eyes of the Hebes, the, old, the people of the Old Testy. And then they were like, oh, that's all effed up. So now we're going to need that second Adam. And that's what we teach. Christ is a, ref- is a representation of the perfected man that was made at the very beginning, and that perfected man exists within you. And this is why we teach the first and last Adam. Ginger, you hacking up a lung there? Okay. We teach that because not only does it say that in Scripture, but... Um, you know, uh, it's part of it's part of the tradition. Sorry, I'm losing my train of thought here. Okay, we also teach the sun god that Jesus is a representation of the sun god. Once again, 
you guys got baptism and 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 then you have a world tree and 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 you have a and then wait you you have the trinity and 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 then you have the sun god myth and you have the sun god myth and you have the sun god myth which one's right which one is the correct one the one that god gave us the one that actually comes directly from source which is it which culture had it right jesus no jesus is a recapitulation of every single you know one of these sun god figures why because cultures around the world recognize the design recognize the connection that man may have with god and they canonized it in their own mythologies we recognize that those cultures recognize the same thing and we honor it that's why agnostics embrace all the great traditions we also recognize once again the omnipresence of god Scott, by the way, I actually cover that in, I forget, you're asking if Jesus is the only trans. I actually covered that in, I forget which one it was, but we actually discussed that. So, um, and no, Jesus is not a transvestite. So, um, the omni, we teach about the omnipresence of God. God flows through all things and therefore he is with us at all times. God did not make the world and then like got out of here and it's like, well, you guys figure it out. No, he's with us all the time. He's, he's working. He made this creation is working with the creation. Okay? He sees all things, hears all things, knows all things. The ever presence. So we teach the, the the Trinitarian understanding of God in this sense, right? Omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. Not only is it we find it in the Bible, you find this idea across the world. We're also Trinitarians. I teach the Trinity. Why? Because it's a transcendental truth. It's a transcendental truth that every single human being that places his two cold, hard feet, two feet on the cold, hard ground. Why can I never say that correctly? Um, everybody experiences the Trinity. And it's amazing to me that I'm still, I, you still hear people like, yeah, this person, you know, it's like they're, they're arguing over the Trinity yet. It's, it's mind boggling, mind boggling. No, the Trinity in one representation is representing you in time, past, present, Future, sorry, past, present, future, past, present, future, three becoming what? The eternal moment of the now. Even defined in those terms across the world. If you look at the Hindu Aum and you get an explanation of what they say that is, they're going to be like, well, this is the three aspects of the creator in this past, present, and future. And they all become one fluid moment of time. Who experiences time here? Who experiences the 365 days of the sun? Everybody. Who experiences the Trinity? Everybody. It's insane. It's absolutely mind-bogglingly insane that people are still arguing over the Trinity. So we teach the Trinity. Why? Because it's a transcendental universal truth. You can find it around the world. You don't need to open up a book and recognize three becoming one. You're doing it right now. We teach the Trinity because it is literally one of the most prevalent ideas that's available to all people and all you have to do is have a little philosophical mindset and count to three so we're trinitarians why once again trinities across the world shiva brahman vishnu orphic trinity fanes aranas chronos egyptian isis osiris horus the celtic triquetra and the trinacria and the odin's horn and the oh the three spell the valknut and the om the word and the Hecate's wheel around the world why because it's god it comes from god it doesn't come from any culture we also, speaking of understanding that God is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent, we also understand that God has his jurisdiction. 
There is only the jurisdiction of God. Here's an example. We've got the state and the county, and then they put a they put a circle on you and say, we own you. So the county owns you first, then the state owns you, and then there's like the local, and then the city. We know those are before that anyway. And then there's the U.S. corporation, then there's the U.S., and then there's all these other laws. There's universal law, and whatever, blah, 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 blah. Okay? We actually understand that God's jurisdiction is total. There is nothing but God's jurisdiction. God created everything. Everything to him will return. Right? There is no laws but God's that we must follow, which are the highest laws, which have the harshest punishments, by the way. End of story. So we understand that this is bullshit and this is truth. This is a bunch of honky-ass goddamn nonsense. It's a bunch of fiction made by men that wrote stuff down. Does that mean we don't want to follow the law? No. We have a mu- As Gnostics, we have a much higher moral... Uh, uh, you know, our what we have to follow are higher morals, integrity, dignity, our laws, and the punishment for not following those laws. We know that God can deal out and dole out so much more than that could ever be doled out by any of these people. So we know that this is a bunch of nonsense, and this is truth. This is goddamn nonsense. This is truth. We understand that. We understand God's jurisdiction is total. So, all right. Uh, I'm going to, uh, I just want to say, if you guys would like to, yeah, literally above the law is the law, right? There, there There's, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, all right, 128 watching. Thank you all. Oh, yes, I'm not going to play the commercial today. Uh, yeah, because I, I, I don't know. It's just, that's okay. If you would like to support the Academy, this Academy and church only is, uh, only <laughs> stays alive by your support. So, um, and that's how it's going to be. I've said that many times. If you would like to donate and keep this church alive, if you appreciate the Sunday services and the information and everything that we, uh, you know, we do here, you can support at GnosticAcademy.org. Uh, you can donate through there or you can go to buy me a coffee or at GnosticAcademy at cash app and that is the best way to support that way you don't have to give 30 percent or whatever it is to youtube because yes youtube takes 33 percent. they must be a bunch of masons taking their 33 percent no um they're not masons they're actually hebrews so that's a different topic but anyway if you would like to support you can at gnosticacademy.org or uh, cash app and um buy me a coffee like i said it's what keeps this thing alive without you guys, it doesn't work, and it's that simple, and that's the way it's going to be. And as soon as this doesn't get the support, I'm out of here. I'll always do things, but, you know, I'd like to keep this going. So, Carrie Musgrave, thank you very much. Uh, best teaching this year. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> it's funny. Okay, so speaking of donations and money and stuff like that, just so you guys know, we are not a 501c3. We are not a 501c3. We do not. We've uh, we've got our um, you know exemption and rescission and revocation of anything that has to deal with this corporate fictional entity, and uh, so so no, we don't. Uh, we we have our um, statement of tax exemption and everything like that. So we don't play by any of the rules. Once again, why is it because we're anti-government? Blah, blah, blah. Well, kind of sometimes, but really we just recognize what's actually true. The actual laws. 
the actual government, the actual jurisdiction, who created everything, who owns everything, who we have to adhere to, what laws we have to adhere to. That's God's. It's this. Not this. That, a bunch of honky goddamn nonsense. This, truth. Okay? So, that's what we recognize. And that's how it is. So, um, and no, no one's actually sovereign. Just so you know, I know what you're saying. I'm not trying to argue with you, but no one's actually sovereign. We're all prisoners of God. We're all, we're all his children, if you will. There's different ways you could say that, of course. But meaning that God put us here, say this simply, God put us here. He created us. He created the land. He created the sky and the fishes and the rivers and the mountains and the one spirit. And he created everything. And to him, everything will return. How can anybody, knowing that's true, come in and be like, well, actually, it's mine. No, it's nonsense. Absolute nonsense. So we just see what what is. We understand that we are under God's laws and commandments at all times, and he can take us whenever he wants, and that's what we respect. So, T. Roof Sika. T. Roof Sika. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. Um, let me get Rockfin here. Make sure I miss anything. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Thank you. Ashley Knopp. Hi, Marty. I appreciate your contribution and your teachings. I've been listening for the last couple of weeks. I usually can't chat due to working. I grew up studying as a Jehovah's Witness. Oh, I walked away from this religion years ago, giving back what I can in 2023. Thanks again. You are welcome. Thank you. Sorry. Let me make sure I get this here. Tipped. Lindsay Smith. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Okay, that's good. Top of the morning to ya. Okay, that's good. Happy rising, my brother. Happy New Year to you and your family. Much love. Thank you, Jeremy Hines. Okay. So that said, in this sense, we're, uh, we have a, Gnostics have a general uh, distrust for authority. We're like there's, right? We don't put our trust in men. We put our trust in God. So therefore, we have a general distrust for, we, uh, for um, you know, much like the Mennonites and the Amish and that sort of stuff for, well, number one, government. Right? We understand that men's laws are, most of them are considered legal, which means they're fictional. They're literally fictional by definition. So we have an enormous distrust for government. We have an enormous distrust for the medical institution. And I think we all see why now. I think, I, why do, you don't trust the medical industry? Why not? Because they would have tried to suffocate Christ himself with their stupid masks. So as we've learned in the last few years, yeah, you don't trust that, that, um, you know, I learned this a while back too, um, with the death of a grandma figure of mine about how just awful the medical institution truly is. If you actually look at it with hard eyes. So no, we don't trust the government and we, we have a little trust in the medical institution and no, we don't trust education, obviously. Um, so those are just general things that, um, you know, I, I purport at this, at this church. Um, we're going to keep going. Also, we also recognize that, you know, when we talk about justice in man's courts of law, that yes, maybe sometimes you do receive uh, some sort of justice in the court of law, but a lot of times, you know, you're, what are you doing? You're relying on people that can be corrupt. And as we've seen, especially with the whole uh, COVIDians of the 19 things, especially in, in Hawaii, you know, those courts of law are a thousand percent corrupt. They were, they were built and geared to literally go after people that were di in disagreement with the civil rights violations of the governments. 
And that's what we, you know, we, we, we saw happen. So when we, we look at, uh, you know, Christianity and Christ, the story of Christ and everything like that, and we look at justice and man's courts of law, what does the story of Jesus sentencing, his sentencing, and ultimately his death and, you know, the crucifixion and everything like that, what does that tell us about man's court system? What does that tell us about man's court system? Think about this. The entire story of Jesus being sent to the cross is one of grave injustice at the hands of man. And if we are to extricate the universal meaning and higher wisdom from within such a tale, it is, it is assuredly that, firstly, as it is said, the power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. We know that. So once you get an organization or whatever that gets power, that usually it tends to corrupt. It's what, it's what Gnostics have been saying about the traditions of the church Literally for a few thousand years or whatever, literally been saying this shit gets go that goes corrupt. Hence, why Gnostics don't have a hierarchical in this sense a hierarchical like this guy at the top has all the answers. No, we know that power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And secondly, that there is no justice ultimately in man's justice system, for only God may be the judge, and there is only justice with Him when it really comes to it. Jesus was of no sin right? Sinless character. Jesus being of no sin was brought before King Herod, found innocent. Brought before Pilate and found innocent. And yet his guilt would be given over to the chief priests and the rulers and the people, for it would be the mob, the stirred up crowd that ultimately the Romans listened to, not the courts of law, not that entire court system of laws and things written down and a structure to make sure that the innocent would remain innocent and that we get the bad guys. Is that what happened? No, that's not what happened at all. What happened to Jesus? Well, we know the story. It was like the thing and the Pilate and everything like that. So ultimately, yet his guilt would be given, which he's not guilty, his innocence, right? But his guilt would be given over to the mob, the stirred up crowd shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And that would supersede the entire system of law and order. So Jesus went up to Herod, allegedly in Herod's jurisdiction. He's innocent. Goes to Pilate. Innocent. What ends up happening? They still find him guilty and crucify him. Which basically says what? The court systems are effed. <laughs> they took the most innocent man that ever lived and they found him guilty. What do you think they're going to do to you? What is that story all about? When Jesus says, when Jesus says the, the chief priest, they came and they tried to trick him. And they said, oh, well, do you pay your taxes to Caesar? And what does Jesus say? I give unto Caesar what is Caesar's and give on something like this. I give unto Caesar's what is Caesar's. And I give unto God what is the Lord, what is the Lord. God is what is God's, right? What is he saying there? I give unto Caesar what is Caesar's. What does, what does Jesus have that he owes to Caesar? Nothing. Not a fucking thing. Yeah, that's right. I'm the one of those ministers. You ain't never met a Christian preacher like me. I throw the F word out. Yes. Jesus owed Caesar not a fucking thing. Nothing. Because whose jurisdiction was Jesus in? Whose jurisdiction are you in? At all times, always. God's. The Bible, that's actually case law that you're studying there. That's what you're studying. To let you know that guess what? If the courts want to go corrupt and send you to prison, you could be the most innocent man that ever lived. So... So, you know, we just have a, we have a tendency to distrust the courts of law. 
Okay, so um, I want to I want to wrap this baby up. We're already at two and a half hours, but this is worth it. So um, reincarnation. We teach reincarnation here. Now most people think that reincarnation is like that's not in the Bible and stuff like that. We're telling you, and I'm not going to go into this a lot here because we're already late. But I've done live streams on this. I am saying there's parts of the Bible. In fact, whole chapters that you can't even possibly understand unless you unless you employ reincarnation to the story. One of the ones I bring up is there's a creation story of Adam and Eve, and then Adam and Eve are told to go replenish the earth. Wait, what? Replenish? Re means to do again. Plenish comes from plentiful. That means the earth was plentiful at some time. Some shit happened, and now they've got to go and replenish the earth. But it's a creation story. How could it be the first time, and then you're replenishing the earth? That doesn't make any sense. Well, that's because you're reading mystical literature and you're trying to read it literally. <laughs> that's the problem. Why is John uh, related to Elias or Elijah? Why is St. John, Johnny Boy, and Elijah considered the same person? The Old Testament is going to announce Jesus, then St. John shows up. Why? That's because it's the same soul in two different bodies. There's entire, like I said, there's entire aspects of the Bible you can't even possibly understand unless you bring mysticism to it and bring up the idea of reincarnation. What happens to the little children? You know, the, the, I don't even get to it. Well, I've talked about that before. Reincarnation, we also understand that we basically teach what's understood now, at least through Joseph Campbell, the hero's journey is basically the same sort of thing that you will understand in the sun god myth, right? Um, that look, uh, you're here for a quest. You're everybody that's down here is undergoing a spiritual quest, whether they know it or not. We're here to teach you. This church and academy is here to teach you. That's what you're doing right now. Right now. You're under a spiritual quest. God's placed you. God's given that quest to you. So we teach the hero's journey, meaning that your chance, and I've probably gone, and maybe we'll have to go a few more. Who knows? I guess it'll be between God and I. But, you know, we've been down here several different times, and we went through the life, and ah, I just didn't get it in that one. You got to do it again. And you got to do it again and again and again and again until you get it right. Until you actually reach that apotheosis, that theosis, that, that uh, you know, um, unification with the, with the Lord. And so we teach the magnum opus. This is the core tenet of alchemy. The great work. The magnum opus. The great work. The labor of the Lord. You know, um, whatever, you know, once again, you can couch it in a bunch of different terms. But it's this understanding that, hey, you're down here because there's a great work to do. And yes, it does require work. It's not, we also understand that works without faith is dead. Or faith without works is dead, excuse me. Faith without works is dead. So it, this is a work, okay? Um, we also recognize that the second coming of Christ, we actually recognize the second coming of Christ. We, we, we teach this doctrine. But we recognize that the second coming of Christ is when Christ arrives within you. Once again, this is what the Gnostic, mystical, esoteric tradition teaches. There's a whole lot of books that discuss this very notion that there is going to be a second coming of Christ. And that when, when Christ arrives is when he arrives within you. When the Holy Spirit gives you that great gift. When you, get, when you receive that gift of Kabbalah. And God comes down and places that, that, that spark within you in this sense. Speaking metaphorically here, but... Okay, so yes, we do teach about the second coming of Christ, but not a physical arriving of Christ in some body. Like Christ is literally going to ride down on a flying white horse and be like, hey, I need 144,000 of you. No, 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 no. Okay, 
we understand that Christ, this is, these are metaphysical ideas and that this is a spirit, you know, this is alchemical. So Christ, second coming of Christ is when Christ arrives within you. Now the Christian churches don't like that, but we don't care. We don't care. Okay. I just want to cover one more thing and then we'll do this. Thank you all for staying so long. I knew this was going to be a long one. So, um, but I wanted to cover this stuff and I thought it was important. So I really appreciate everybody that sticks around. So Cameron Keene, Jacob Law, my lovely wife, Michael Hall. Thank you all for being here. B, Scott, Jacob Law. Thank you guys. Whisk K. I really appreciate you sticking around. Check the telegrams. Uh, Just got a few more things to cover. Um, Did my wife write me? I don't see your, I don't see my wife. Oh, there we go. Sorry. Oh, uh, Mar, thank you. Great education. Bought three coffees. Thank you, Mar. Rachel Everson, Happy New Year. Love you guys. Thanks for sharing truth and helping to open the eyes of the blind. You are welcome, Rachel Everson. It's what God put me on the earth to do. Happy New Year, Marty and Jen. Jamie Greeley, look at you. Look at you. You sass. And thank you to Keith Post for the quarterly tithing. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate that. That's what keeps this going. Okay. So yes, we do believe in the second coming of Christ. And that Christ arrives within you. All right, one, a few last things I want to just point out here. <clears throat> you know the things um, that we teach here. I want you. To, I want you to understand that you know people will have their perspectives on God and their beliefs on God and and things like that. And they say, "Oh, my interpretation of the Good Book. Our church over here, the Pentecostal church. No, the Protestant church over here. No, the Catholics over here. The Orthodox over here. And then no, not not forget Christianity is a Taoism. That's what's going to bring you to the Lord and all of this. And I've got the answer. You know, all this sort of stuff. What I want you to understand is that ultimately in this life." What you believe, what you've done, your thoughts, your actions, your your understanding of the good book in Christ, you alone, you alone are going to have to go up and stand before God Almighty and answer for that. That's what this life is all about. This sort of life review, that this notion has been, you know, part and parcel to so many mystical and religious traditions around the world that ultimately it's like, look, you, you know, you, God put you down here to see how you do. And then you got to go up and answer to him kind of thing. Okay. So when Pete, when, when you start, you know, we get a lot, a lot of it, you know, where people like rip on Gnosticism and they, it's basically the butt of a joke. Well, you can let them think that this is all the butt of a joke. Just let them go. Let them believe that because they're going to have to go alone and stand before God and explain to him what they did here, why they believed what they believed, why they took their interpretation of, the, of, of this, the things that they did, the actions that they had, the thoughts that they had, how they treated one another. They're going to have to take that up to God, whatever their life is, and stand before God Almighty and explain it to him. They don't have to explain it to you or me or mama or papa or, you know, uh, whatever chief rabbi dude down the street or pastor bob over here they don't have to explain it to him they are going to have to take what they believe their belief system their you know all of that sort of stuff their faith up to god and explain it to him okay so i really want you to understand this when you go out into the world and you have christians rip on gnosticism okay you know for a fact. I know it. You know it. We can be 1,000% honest with one another. That The people that are reading this and being like, I'm going to take Christ. They don't know shit. They don't know shit. Just say it. Just speak it loud. It's okay. God does not care. 
God wants you to, oh, they're being honest. At least you're being honest with the thing. Cool. I can handle that, God says, right? It's when you're a deceitful little shitbag is when God's like, well, I don't Christians, modern Christians have no idea what they're reading. They are taking an interpretation and a belief system that is entirely literal. They're hanging on it. They're holding it over your head. They're being unbelievably, um, a lot of times, being um, very condescending about what you, you know, Gnostics and that sort of stuff believe. And what I want you to do is, well, no, I don't tell people what to do. I don't like to give advice, but I will say this. Me, like, I don't care what they think. I know that you're full of shit that you can't answer for anything in here. You have no idea what half this stuff means. Your interpretation, you can poke holes in it all day long. And you know what? That's fine. Because I am 1000% confident after years of saying, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. No, I'm challenging that. I don't believe that. No, you got to give me something better than that. Years and years and years and years of doing this, I am 1,000% confident that at the end of this life, I will go up to God and exactly what we teach here, this church, my understanding of the Bible, and I'll say, God, this is why I came to that conclusion. Now, if I end up being wrong, well, I guess that's on me. But we do know that we have all of these Christians around the world that are holding this over your head, that are being insanely condescending, and all of that sort of stuff, being like, well, if you take Christ in your personal savior, you got to go down to the mega church and get dumped under the water, and then you're going to be saved. They're going to have to take that interpretation, their belief, their argumentation, their debates, all that sort of stuff, up to God and answer to him. So let them. Let them. We will all have to stand before God Almighty and explain our beliefs, why we took the interpretation of what men said about this and the, and the life we lived and our actions and our thoughts and all the stupid shit we did and all the good stuff we did. And we all have to take it up single-handedly to God. So if you get people, I'm just here to tell you this, um, if you get, now that we've done this whole live stream and you know gone over a lot of the things that we teach here, just so you know, if you have one of these Christians that just like the guy was here, oh, this guy's teaching masonry, oh, I'm out of here, see ya. Don't let the door of this church hit you in the ass on the way out. And I don't mean that with any antagonism at all, at all. It's just, this is not for you because you think that you're going to go up to God and be like, yeah, God, I, I said no to all the Freemasons because they're all devil worshipers and child traffickers. And God's going to be like, well, did you read any of the books? Well, no, but okay. Well, then why did you come to that conclusion? Because I watched RV Truth on, on YouTubes. Hmm. God's going to be like, well, I don't know. Wow. You were completely wrong about that one. God's going to be like, well, why? Wait a second. Why did you just go ahead and believe that a dude spends three days in a whale's belly? Well, because miracles, God. Yeah, but I mean, where's all the miracles now? You know, maybe there's a different perspective you could have taken to that. They will have to take all that up to God and answer to him. So let him. Let them. They can't even answer for themselves here. They can't even answer for themselves here. You start asking people about what do you really, what does this actually mean here? You'll go, you'll like ghost town. It's like, oh, I don't really know. But you took it as your belief system? I believe everything that's in here. Okay, what does it mean? I don't know. Okay, well, just so you know, you're going to have to take that up to God Almighty, stand before him and say that. Us Gnostics have no problem with anything we believe. Why? Because it requires us to be 1,000% honest with ourselves in order to have our beliefs. 
We have to be honest with you. We have to be honest with God. So, so all those Christians that are out there that believe in the literal Jesus and that Noah was 600 years old and like the whiskey and like to big build, you know, build big arcs and stuff like that. And they literally, and they go down to Tennessee and they, they, they go to, was it Kentucky or Tennessee where there's like the, the ark experience and they're going to see the ark that Noah built. But you're, they're going to have to take all that up to God and explain themselves. Meanwhile, well, they're going to laugh off all of this. So let them. Okay. There's nothing you can do about it. We know that our hearts, when we talk about, this is the other thing, I started with this and now we're going to end it with this. True knowledge comes from the heart. It's what the whole thing is about. It's laughable to me. Absolutely, 100%, just downright laughable to me when somebody comes along and they say, he said, oh, Gnostics, they're all just about knowledge and being super smart and super secret knowledge. And that's good. Bullshit. Bullshit. We're about knowledge of the heart. That's what Gnosticism is all about. Why? Well, number one, it's just, you know, you want to live a heart-centered life. It seems to be pretty, you know, it seems to be a good thing to do. But beyond that, the mystical tradition, the mystery schools tell you that's what it's all about. The entire structure of Egyptology, the Egyptian canon, the Egyptian religious, you know, spiritual doctrine was all about one thing. At the end of your death, at the end of your life, when you go to death and you cross the gates of death, you will have your heart weighed on the feather of Mott. And the feather of Mott is basically the good, true, and beautiful. That's essentially what it is. It's the principles of law, order, and truth. And you'll have your heart weighed against that. And if your heart is light, lighter than that feather, then you'll get to go in. You'll get to go into Valhalla, the, the halls of the immortal, according to the Egyptian canon. It's all about what? Knowledge of the heart. That's what Gnosis is. It is knowledge of the heart. That's why it's called the sacred brain of Jesus. This, I love this. Oh, wait, though, it's, that's not called that at all. That's right. That has nothing to, do with, uh, nothing to do with that at all. It's called the sacred heart of Jesus. Why? Because <laughs> that's where true knowledge exists. So, if you're a Gnostic and you think... You know, it was like, oh, they, they, they got a really good perspective. And I'm, I'm going to go and read all the books that Marty produces. And then I'll <laughs> Nope. No. God doesn't care if you read this book or not. Doesn't at all. God wants to know what's in there. God wants to know how you did down here with that. You could have filled your head. You could have been to like Yale and Harvard and then autodidactically read every book that you could possibly get your hands on and fill your head with a bunch of top-heavy knowledge. And it ain't going to do shit for you because you're not balanced there. Because you're not balanced there. That's what our church is all about. So if you ever hear anybody tell you about, well, you know, you're not taking our interpretation that Jesus was a real man and then Noah spent, was 600 years old and then built the ark and then there was this one dude that spent three days in the belly of a whale and then Jesus was, he was the son of God, is the son of God and so he's God and he's divine but he died. Wait, God died for three days? Yes. And then what happened to all? They're going to take that interpretation up to God and answer for it and we'll take what we understand up to God and answer for that. And we know that all of this is all about 
Dart. So, if anybody ever uh, questions you, those, those Gnostics, they think it's all about super secret knowledge. Just so you know, you can hear it from the words right here. Those people have zero idea what they're talking about. Literally nothing. Zero. Nothing. So let them know nothing. What are you going to do? You're going to try to educate them? You're going to try to convince them something that they've already emotionally attached themselves to that they are going to take up to God and, and they have no problem with taking it up to God and answering to him. So let them. We'll just keep focused on what we know to be true. So, um, let's end with this. There is a word speaking eternally, self, out of itself, in itself, but still not itself. It may never be spoken out. Egos, everything, nothing, hell, heaven, earth, light, night, good, bad, body, spirit, this, that, yes, no, el, thou, give, take, do, let, sense, will, reason, no reason, here, there, sorrow, joy, scorn, love, quiet, time, eternity, soul, angel, death, life, death, stillness, sound, one, none, man, yes, even God, the word cannot even reach itself, cannot be compared to anything, and yet is at all times, all in all, Jesus Christ. He speaks, does not speak, is being spoken, speaks out, speaks in, remains unspoken, creates everything himself, remains uncreated, but is himself. What he created from the innermost out, from the outermost in, he has been, is not, but will be one God, one Lord, one spirit, one unit. Whoever does not believe this cannot understand anything. Far from belief comes understanding far from belief for from belief comes understanding i should say for from belief comes understanding so speaks the spirit and writes the hand first believe it then try it if found good then praise it silentium sapentia sapatia sapentia simplicitas veritas sigillum silentum silent wisdom simple truth seal it silent wisdom simple truth seal it this actually comes from, a, I think, a Rosicrucian manifesto, and it's basically trying to tell you about the, the power of God. He speaks, but is unspoken. Is everywhere, but nowhere. One and none. Combines all the opposites into the what? Into the eternal oneness that is God. So, that's going to do it. Uh, yeah, there's so, so much good stuff in those. Uh, all that occult literature will blow your mind. It, it just will. And it's impeccable. It's remarkably sad that we have people that consider themselves spiritually advanced or intellectuals or stuff like that that literally know nothing about it. It's literally the highest wisdom that you can. Get. Kabbalah is one of, the, is if in my opinion, what I've been told too is literally the highest wisdom that you can obtain down here. And most people think it's devil worship. They think counting to ten is devil worship. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? Not worry about it, and we're gonna stay focused. And then we'll just keep crushing. We'll just hold our main, we'll just maintain our integrity, our dignity, our honesty, the truth. We'll teach verifiability and repeatability and let the rest filter away. We'll teach the incorruptible and let the corruptible pass on. And that's what we'll continue to do. So if you would like to support the church, make sure to go to the site uh, GnosticAcademy.org and ring the bell for notifications. Okay. Men have constructed barriers for their minds. Pity, exactly. And for their hearts. That's the other thing you'll find out, especially in the like, Orthodox. These people are jackasses. These people are immoral. They're self-righteous. They're arrogant. They're megalomaniacal. Ignorant. Ign ignorant, ignorant, ignorant. Unbelievably ignorant. So let them. Let them go. 
They will take that up to God Almighty and speak to him. You don't have to answer. So if you would like to support the Academy, it's super cheap. You can get uh, $14 for three months. Uh, you can set up a, just one time or multiple and uh, one year tithing. And there's 54. There's tons of good stuff on the site. GnosticAcademy.org, documentaries, music, uh, all the old podcasts and all the old live streams we've done as, long as, the, uh, as well as the new one. So, um, so that's going to do it. All right. Thank you guys so much. We are going to listen to, um, yes. Uh, okay. We are going to listen to Foundering again. Do you guys know Foundering? Uh, Foundering is the moniker of the pianist and singer-songwriter Kylan de Gattaledi. Get I don't know how you say that. With a special, uh, you can get his stuff. He does all sorts of good stuff. He's a specialty in ragtime and early jazz. Foundering is also known for satirical songs about conspiracies and other social commentary. You can get all his stuff at foundering.gumroad.com. This is a track. He did a whole record called, what is it called? Preludes and Offertories. And it's really good. It's just him playing like some classic piano pieces. And I think you can get it for like three bucks or some shit. So um, I highly recommend going over to um, foundering.gumroad.com. And I'm going to play the first track off this. And I don't know even know what the track is, but it's really beautiful. I listen to it a lot. So if you get a chance, go show him some love. So thank you all for being here. Um, may, you always keep may you always keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. May his grace be with you all. Amen. I really thank you all for uh, hanging out for three hours, three freaking hours. Hmm, I really shouldn't do that. But I thought it was necessary to do this whole live stream because it's the first of the year. A lot of people had questions about, what do you Gnostics believe? Well, here it is. If you want to sit through three hours and, and then find out that it's like, huh, this is probably for me because they're not full of shit and they're just... Anyway, so I figured it was important to do this. Um, so thank you all for listening. I really appreciate everybody that sticks around for three hours. I really appreciate that. A lot of things to cover. So I will try to keep these short moving forward. All right, that's going to do it for me. I'll stop rambling. I love you guys so much. Thank you all for the support. Thank you for allowing this to keep going. Thank you to everybody that has purchased books. We we sold over 100. I think we're at like 110 books now or something like that, which for me is amazing. You know, um, it's going to keep us alive for the next couple months, just the book sales. So it's amazing. So thank you so much, everybody. Um, the book should go out. Um, hopefully in the next couple weeks, we'll do the processing anyway, and then it will be heading to your door. So all right, that's going to do it. Guys, thank you all so much. Let's uh, have, enjoy the rest of the new year and everything like that, even though it's not new year. And I will see you next Sunday, okay? As always, many blessings and much love to all.